The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code DIESHRING for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. All right, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Homeless Tom, and I am joined by my co-host. Uh, technical difficulties, Dan. Is Can we go with that one for this week? Yeah, I don't think you were the one causing it. Honestly, I don't, I don't have any clue what's causing any of these technical difficulties. Like, it's just some days, guess the internet's not working well, which... It's funny, actually, oftentimes when I have issues, I'll see other people in like the Moore's Laws Dead Discord say, YouTube's really slow today, and they'll just be like in Portland, Oregon or something <laughs> having similar issues. It's, uh, that's you know, that stuff keeps popping up more and more in the past 12 months, I've noticed. Yeah, just like really stupid, small uh, slowdowns and stuff like YouTube just buffers 15 se- for 15 seconds for no apparent reason. Mm. I mean, I don't know if it's just everyone's noticing it more because we're all at home or if it's that's just uh, messing with the bandwidth is everyone being home or if there's just fewer people repairing things right now. Probably a bit of both. All right. So I think we should start getting into the episode. Before we do, though, I just want to be clear about something. This will come out after GTC and it's being recorded like right before it. You know, I've been trying to get better and better at just accepting that there will always be new news stories that pop up every week randomly in shows where we just are too busy to like, well, I don't think we can afford to keep killing ourselves (laughs) like we've done, especially in 2020, where we'll like delay the show two days, record it in the middle of the night and put it out. I think it's just, look, we do a news episode every two weeks. If we miss something... I do videos as well. If it's really important, there'll be a video that day that I'll get out about it that will properly address it, or we'll just we'll just handle it in the next news episode. It's it's generally speaking every other week. So, but you know, just a heads up that apparently they'll be doing it. And go on. It's not like you you immediately need to know, or this is your only source of news, I guess. And if it were something really big did happen, I guess. We could address it in the podcast, but it's like, I, I, I don't know if it's necessary for us to, you know, push a bunch of crap on uh, Gerard to go and edit, uh, to go and edit it. like And ourselves, like when we're exhausted recording in the middle of the night after I've also done a video on it, it just, it starts to yeah. feel unnecessary. I did a video on it, guys. That's the addressment of that. The news episodes are to make sure we don't miss anything else. Yeah. And, and like you say... It's always a little funny when we do when we like move a news episode for some news event uh, so we can talk about it. You've usually put out a video about three hours before we start recording. So it's like you're um, addressing it two times almost. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And, And there's also the added risk of you'll wait to record something and <laughs> no news was there. Now, when there's a 6700 XT announcement or something, it's like, well, we know there will be something to talk about. But when it's GDC, 
We don't know. We don't know if they actually will announce the 3080 Ti. They could. And I'm, I've heard hints that they should for sure or most likely announce A5000 and A4000. But we don't know for sure what they would do probably besides that. I, I suspect they'll announce a 3080 Ti, but I, they might not because they can't keep up with demand. So why announce anything unless, you know, there's really no point unless it's been shipped. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like there's generally something interesting out of GDC, but it's not it's not like it's always consumer, really consumer focused. So, I mean, mm. if we miss it, we miss it. If it's an A4000, 5000 thing, like, I don't think many people that subscribe to this channel will even be that interested in it. I mean, not to mention I leaked what it is that is like half a year ago. <laughs> like, <laughs> what do you want to know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I. If there's something big out of it, you'll put a video out. All right. Let us get in then to the opening reader mails. Uh, Slick Willie writes in and says, In Broken Silicon 93, at approximately 18 minutes and 15 seconds, Dan mentions about a player from an NBA team who beat up a fan. I will try to give the story some justice, for I found it funny as hell. The story begins at a regular season game between the Detroit Pistons and the Indian Pacers at the Detroit Pistons home court, the Palace of Auburn Hills. It occurred late in the game when the player, Meta World Peace, a.k.a. Ron Artest, placed a hard foul on the Detroit center, Ben Wallace, when the Pacers were already up by 12 with a minute with minutes left. Wallace proceeded to punch Artest, leading to a clearing of the benches for both teams, leading to an all-out brawl. Made a world peace, proceeded to take a nap on the scorer's table while the brawl was occurring in order to piss off the fans and refs. Then out of nowhere, a double glove was thrown by a fan directly at his head while he was trying to catch some Zs, leading to Made a World Peace to go into the stands and proceed to beat the ever-living crap out of a fan. <laughs> so on the night of the fight, a player named Made a World Peace led the charge. This would eventually be no- named the Malice at the Palace. Yeah, so uh, to- most of my... F- I don't even remember this, by the way, us talking <laughs> about this. So most of my friends in college were big sports fans, so I would, like, get these stories about, uh, like, Malice in the Palace... And I always forget, like, the minutia because I don't care about sports. But I'm like, I remember some story about a basketball player punching a fan. And uh, I wanted to call it Rage in the Cage, but I know that's another thing. I know they had some clever name given to it, though. I have nothing to add to this conversation. (laughs) You seem to remember. I I honestly don't even remember us talking about that. Um, All right. And then just some, I guess you could call it maybe corrections and omissions or I guess elaborations on things we talked about. But now we have some true corrections and omissions here. Amiable Chief writes in and says, Tom, on the March loose ends at around eight minutes before the end of the stream, you mentioned variable rate shading as something where, to quote, we don't render everything you can't see, which I think isn't quite right. Variable rate shading is used to vary shader rate on visible portions of the screen to gain performance. Variable rate shading enhances select portions of the rendered scene. The elimination of objects from the display that should not be rendered because they are behind objects closer to the viewer is Z calling. Okay, so yeah, it's just adjusting how much you are based on what's on screen then. Um, Usually, though, I've heard developers talk about these in the same breath. So I think... Like I could be for like, it's both part of more smartly rendering what's on screen, only what you have to and emphasizing things where you'll, parts of the screen, you sh- I should say, where you'll actually notice the extra details. Yeah. Got to get those extra deets in, bro. 
Metal Shark writes in, and he says, in Broken Silicon 94, at the 50 minute and 48 second marks, you guys have been really specific about parts of podcasts now. Steve from Hardware Unboxed states, regarding to NVIDIA, that they haven't allocated Silicon real estate on a GPU for scheduling, unlike AMD. However, on recent NVIDIA cards, there is an option disabled by default in Windows for hardware accelerated GPU scheduling, where Microsoft states, the new GPU scheduler will be supported on recent GPUs that have the necessary hardware. This isn't to throw the baby out with the bathwater on Steve's results or suggest enabling this solves the issue, but it seems contrary to what he was saying. Well, and then he puts a link here. Yeah, I don't think it does. I think I remember Steve specifically mentioning this, don't you, Dan? That they tested it yeah. in, they, they tried this box and it didn't help anything. And that there were, I, if I remember correctly, that sometimes it even hurt performance. Yes, I, I believe so. I mean, don't, <laughs> I, I guess don't quote me on that and don't, then by extension, quote Steve on that. But I, I think he said that, yeah. Well, all I can really add to this is I don't believe anything of what he said was really cut out by Gerard, you know, because he edits for flow. Mm-hmm. But at the very least, I've also talked to Steve about this offline, and he is very, very confident in his findings. Like he, frankly, he could talk about it for an entire hour, and I think he has on some chats on his own YouTube channel, like that he really feels that he's looked into every facet of this for now. That it really just seems to be an unsolvable thing as far as all evidence suggests. Because I, I know he's aware of that, though. Yeah. Um, I guess is what I'll say. And, and just to go back to, like, that conversation went on for, like, what, probably 15 or 20 minutes. And yeah. he said we should move on because <laughs> he, he said we should move on because uh, we're going to start getting too in the weeds at a certain point. So he he himself acknowledged that that was, even in 20 minutes, only a somewhat surface level conversation. All right. Final corrections. Northwood Pen 4 writes in and says, In Broken Silicon 94, you, Dan, Tim, and Steve were discussing 4K OLED gaming monitors around 27 to 32 inches, which would come in the near future. Turns out those may be coming in a very near future. A company called JOLED... Um, which he has a link here. Let me see. I want to actually open this. Has recently released a press release stating that they've started mass production and shipping of medium-sized OLED panels. They currently have 32-inch, 27-inch, and 22-inch OLED panels in the lineup. And LG has already announced a 32-inch OLED monitor, the 32EP950, using the JOLED panels. Uh, Let me see. Obviously, first products won't be cheap, but hopefully those will become affordable price in very near future. Anyways, thank you very much for you and Dan's effort and keep up the amazing work. Um, he goes, as I'm being a Japanese listener, which should be very rare in this community, I'm guessing, I'd like to know if there's any other Japanese listeners out there as well. Oh yeah, there are. I'm sure. There's definitely not just one person I've seen. So let me, all right, so here we go. J-O-L-E-D. Let me see. And I know there's already been like 22 inches from like Aces for like five grand or something. I think it was 21 inches. Yeah, I mean, so they're they're manufacturing them and they put out a release that they're making them. But it's very, I mean, you certainly can't buy it yet. So I don't know if you'll be able to buy them soon or if that you will be able to buy them in like a year or a year and a half or something. But I mean, a year and a half isn't in the grand scheme of things isn't that long of a time. So we will start seeing them soon soon-ish. Yeah, I guess what I would just say is it's encouraging that something's being made, but until I see the price, I don't know if I can get encouraged because I just, 
imagine these first ones are going to be like two grand. Like there's like, cause they have no competition. And additionally, I believe Tim was specifically talking, if I remember correctly, about how there isn't one you can buy yet. There's no $3,000 gold standard where we can go, hopefully this panel will come to a cheaper model within six months. And the fact that we're not even there yet would suggest to me that we're still at least a year and a half away from effectively getting even expensive OLED monitors. Like, let's yeah. be honest, like think about how long it took. And this is something I've talked about, especially in my concept D monitor review. Like what, like what was that like three or four years ago? I don't remember when the, those like $2,000 384 dimming zone 4k HDR 1000 monitors came out or something. Mm -hmm. And then those were two grand and they dropped price quickly, but it still took like a year for those to become about 1200. And then for like concept D and all these other people to make like the sub $1,000 models that are kind of now closer to 700 it took like three years to go from that to this. So what I would say is I still think we're at least honestly, guys, the evidence would suggest we're two years away from decent OLED monitors that are priced even around a thousand. That, that's what the evidence suggests to me. I don't want it to be true. At a smaller form factor than, you know, what you have with your uh, 4K monitor. I mean, not monitor, your 4K TV. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, even, and, and yeah, I mean, one that hits the sweet spot that everyone's waiting for. No, people don't want a 16 inch one. That's basically a portable monitor design, and people don't want forty inches on their desk. Most people don't. Yeah, and the, I mean, they he, they he said they're making three panels: thirty-two, twenty-seven, and twenty-two. That's pretty much those seem to be like the sizes people want on their desk generally. So we'll get it eventually. <laughs> All right, let us get into the news, and the first story is just final thoughts on Intel Rocket Lake. Um, I'll, I'll quote from one passage from TechSpot uh, where they had the i5-11600K review. Um, the new core i5-11600K CPU is typically between 10 to 20% faster for productivity casts when compared to the 10600K, in line with Intel's claim of a 20% IPC increase. That means the new part is able to match the Ryzen 5 5600X in most scenarios, so Intel's made up good ground on the productivity front. They're still nowhere near AMD in terms of efficiency, though, and that's, of course, down to the process node. When it comes to gaming, AMD still came out on top. The 5600X is about 7% faster than the 11600K based on our 10-game sample. Intel made a small 5% jump here from the 10600K, though we saw significant gains in a few titles like Death Stranding and some others. There's very little difference. As of writing, we can find the 5600X over on Newegg and Amazon selling for about $365, $65 over the MSRP. Meanwhile, the i5-11600K is listed on Amazon for $270, which is 26% cheaper than the 5600X. If both CPUs are available at MSRP, then the 5600X is the obvious choice as it's faster and more efficient, plus it's supported on a wider range of motherboards. But at today's prices, we'd get the 11600K. Actually, no. What we do is forget both of them and just get the outgoing 10600K, or even better, the 10600KF. The i5 10600K is 224, and the 600KF model with no graphics is at an even more attractive 200. Those 35% savings could then go into something else, especially if your focus is gaming. And then I also included the 11400F review, which is the budget i5 6-core 12-thread option. And yeah, I mean, look, if you could get that for under 200 bucks, it seems like a solid option, assuming motherboards are reasonably priced. Although, let's be honest, I don't think they often are compared 
to X570 boards that are often cheaper now than they used to be. Although again, I should say often cheaper when they're available. Almost <laughs> everything these days seems to be out of stock. But uh, yeah, this is the first story about Rocket Lake. Final thoughts on Rocket Lake, Dan. It's been heavily covered by us, but technically it falls into this news cycle. So looking at Rocket Lake, it seems like everything above Everything above the 11600K looks kind of stupid in the Rocket Lake lineup. There's no reason to get the 11900 and any of the models of the 11900 they are putting out. I don't even know how many there are at this point. Um, the 11700 is stupid. Uh, and the 11600K kind of it looks like a decent budget option. And there's the 11400F, which, I don't know, that's still 6 cores, 12 threads, and... I guess if you're looking for a budget 6-core 12-thread, the 11400F is pretty much your choice at this point. So, I don't know. I think that seems to be the one Rocket Lake CPU I might recommend, of course, assuming you can get a motherboard for it. Um, and, I don't know, the 5600X looks kind of stupid in comparison with them right now. But, uh, that's, yeah, I, I don't know. All of the Intel doesn't have high-end CPUs anymore, in my opinion. Yeah, and that was the conclusion in at least Steve's uh, Heart from Hardware Unbox 11400F review where he's like, hey, for price to performance, this is pretty great. But again, at the end of the day, Intel is just now the budget. They're the budget one, the inefficient budget option. And and I guess I do have one bone to pick here, though, with this assertion that Intel's cheaper. I mean, they are, but look, I'm going to Newegg right now, guys, and... When I look at X570 motherboards, let me see, is this in stock? It is. I'm seeing multiple X570 motherboards in stock for under 180. I mean, and these are, you know, X, yeah, and let me see. I got a 135 option here, $140 options. Not all of these have the best VRMs, but this one here looks okay. For 150, you can get an X570 motherboard and as far as we're aware, there could be a Zen 3 or Zen 3 Plus refresh this year, and you'll be able to upgrade to that. Rocket Lake is a dead-end platform that supports one less PCIe 4.0 drive. The fact that, and then let me go to Newegg here and just sort by price for Z590. Yeah, it's more expensive slightly. And I know what your people are thinking. They're like, well, you don't need to get Z590. It's like, I guess, but you're literally getting the top IO for less money than Intel's top IO. I, I just don't really see Rocket Lake as a good option unless it's dirt cheap. And, and I also, look, I can't speak for all regions, but at least in America, when I go to AMD's website, the 5800X is in stock. I'd say every other day and at least once a week, I just will randomly see 5600X in stock. Yes, just in stock. I added it to my cart and didn't buy it, guys. It's not impossible to get Zen 3 CPUs. It's harder than Intel, but they're better. Like, it's not impossible, though. And I'm looking at um, a Newegg right now. The cheapest, the cheapest Z590 motherboard you can get right now is... Uh, a gigabyte one for like 180 bucks. No reviews on it yet, though, so I don't know if I would want to be the first person to buy it. But, I mean, the first person to buy it without any reviews. So, I don't know. You have a point that most Z590 motherboards, which I guess is the comparable platform to X570, you're going to be, if you're looking for like the budget option, you're spending 80 more dollars, which kind of negates the, almost negates the benefit that the 11600K has. 
And Steve also did bring up the fact that the cooler that comes with like the 11400F is just garbage, like absolute hot garbage. And the 5600X comes with a decent cooler. Yeah, that's also true. And does the 11, like does something like the 11600K still come with a a cooler or do they not include a cooler with those anymore? I don't think it does. So Um, no, I don't think so. So if it came you get with an Intel screwdriver with it, it says though right now. Ooh, that's <laughs> a pretty nice deal. <laughs> so yeah, I, I guess I don't know. Um, throwing in that wrench of you probably need to get a, well, you should probably get a cooler with, with either option, but you pretty much need to get a cooler with Intel's stuff, and you're probably going to spend more money on a motherboard or get a motherboard with fewer features. I don't know if. The <laughs> you're going onto a dead platform, which I mean, I don't think most people really do upgrade their CPUs, but it's something to consider. Yeah. Um, but it, I don't know. You're buying a slightly worse CPU for a little bit less money than the 5600X. And right now you can get a 5800X for $450. So I would just recommend doing that if you have the money. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm like looking around on Newegg right now. I've just never been, it just to me feels like it still is this little, I just hear this little hint of people bending over backwards to act like they can recommend one Intel processor. And I've never been afraid, not that I'm saying they are, but that's just what it feels like to me to just go, no, they're not an option. Like eventually, there were plenty of times where pile driver CPUs, during the bulldozer era were good choices for the money. But by the time like Haswell and Skylake were out from my point of view, there was almost no point in getting AMD CPUs unless, you know, at least on, you know, at that performance tier, I should say, unless it was like 80 bucks. And then you're just really scraping the bottom of the barrel there. Like, it's yeah. like, yeah, I guess, I guess I can recommend if you can get like an FX eighty three twenty for $80, which you could eventually, I guess I'd probably recommend that over an i3 (laughs) that costs more, (laughs) you know, but that's basically what it took. And when I look again, let's just be very clear about what I'm saying. I'm just, I don't want this to be true, but when I look at this, the i5-11600K is 265. It does not come with a cooler. The 5600X is for uh, 35 more dollars. It comes with a cooler. Its motherboards are a little cheaper. It performs better. And it has a better platform that isn't a dead platform. I don't, it's really feels like we're just doing a backflip to say, maybe get an i5 when I'm so it's just hard for me to recommend any Intel. And when it comes to Comet Lake, it's like, again, if they're a lot cheaper, yes. But what's the total cost of your desktop going to be like a grand? You're not going to spend an extra like 50 bucks to have PCIe 4.0. And because there's some games that have shown pretty huge performance losses now. Uh, com- if you don't have it with some of the strongest graphics cards. And again, you'll go, well, you don't have that yet. Yeah, but that performance will come down. You will probably upgrade graphics cards. Do you want to be stuck with 3.0 forever? Especially when Alder, guys, Alder Lake's launching this year with 5.0. So 3.0 is like pretty old. It's kind of like what happened too with Pile Driver, where eventually I was like, this doesn't even have PCIe 3.0, guys. So it's starting to affect performance on some graphics cards. I mean, heck, they make low-end graphics cards now with just eight PCIe lanes. So that's another thing to consider, which I don't know what to make of that, except that, I don't know, uh, 4.0 is more expensive, so that's probably what that's about. But that means you kind of need 4.0 to get the best out of a lot of graphics, even in the low-end. 
I think it's just the the more you talk about it, the more it becomes clear. I think the only thing in their lineup that's really worth it is that 100, what is it, like $190 i5, six cores, 12 sure. threads. And if you want to go really cheap, you can get like a, I don't know, you can get like a, their lower chips at like the LGA 510. Yeah, which for, they pointed out as well, and that has PCIe 4.0 support. Yeah, So, and that's 130, and you can get one of those, I'm looking for $130. So right. if you're going very cheap, that's an option. The 11600K, I don't know. That's some weird no man's land where I, you're probably going to. I feel s- like you're already starting to you're, do. You're probably going to bend at, over backwards to get Intel. I think already you're at the diminishing returns. I, I mean, I think at overall, you might end up spending like $50 less on your system to get the 11600K, mm-hmm. something like that. And if this is probably going to be like a $1,000 to $1,200 PC, just spend the extra $50 if you can. Which we'll get to this later again about Zen 3 Plus, but it's like keep in mind that if you get an 11600K, your upgrade path is a overheating 11900K or side grade to PCIe 3.0 Comet Lake. Whereas yeah. if you get the 5600X, it seems like there's a decent chance you could upgrade to a Zen 3 Plus 16 core in the future. I just don't see it. I think I, think I agree. I think the 11400F, if you get it below 200, if you can get like a B560 motherboard with all the features you want for a reasonable price, and that does exist, that's a solid mid-range build right there. Sure. But that's about all I can suggest. And I think it does need to be pointed out that the market, the CPU market isn't as jump, dumb as the GPU market. Like, I can go on to Newegg, or at least I checked her. You can get an 11400 for $175 right now. Okay. So, you can actually get that. <laughs> this isn't some BS conversation about, well, if it's actually at MSRP. Well, they're generally at MSRP right now. Some of AMD's stuff isn't, but also Newegg has a promotion going on right now that I just saw the 5800X is, I don't know, 10% off right now. So th- From 450 really? Uh, that's what they said, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. It's 10% off, so... You can, or ten dollars off is what I oh, see. Oh, it's ten dollars. So get that for four forty. It's like, man, another two. Like, it's just so much stronger. Yeah, I don't. I just at the end of the day, I think the again the eleven four hundred F seems like a solid choice. I, I just can't get behind Rocket Lake unless it gets vastly cheaper. Yeah, because it, it, it everything it's competing against is better for the price. So it, it's it's really a non argument at a certain point, in my opinion. Yeah, so, and look, unfortunately, when you talk about the 2700X, it's not like below 150 like it was when you bought it, yeah. Dan. Unfortunately, it's now like 280. But keep in mind, that is an 8-core with, you know, that is the same price as this 6-core i5. It's definitely way worse at gaming, but then there's that upgrade path to something way better. And again, it comes with a cooler for the same price as the i5. So it still is like, if that 2700X is $200... Uh, at any point i start to just kind of nudge and go uh but you could upgrade from that eight core that comes with a cooler to a 16 core zen 3 plus and i think people keep forgetting that well a lot of the last gen ryzen cpus are priced stupidly right now or at least far worse than they were a couple years ago yeah but they might not always be like if i look around i'm starting to see some like 1600 afs that every now and then are like below 150 that's when I start to go, would you not just get that so you can upgrade in the future? I mean, are you really getting the 11400K 
KF to do like one 300 hertz gaming? I doubt it. So yeah. if you're just doing 60, why not get Zen Plus or something that's the same price and have a better upgrade path? Well, yeah. And then that's also funny. In the hardware and box review, they, they even recommend if you're insisting on going with Intel, well, the previous gen models might even be a better budget option because, I mean, right. we do need to just talk about this for what it actually is. It, Intel's the budget option now. So, or, or you can spend, what is it, like $600 on their 11900K for no reason. You, th- that's <laughs> also a choice. no reason. <laughs> so, it, I, I don't know. I think there's one CPU that maybe there's a use for it. it uh, maybe there's a person that it's good for above whatever AMD currently has to offer. Probably not. I I, I get I hear the um upgrade path thing and I think it's a viable argument. I just think if if you're that is your reason for why you're getting a 2700X you should upgrade your CPU in the future. Don't just tell yourself, well, I'll upgrade it in the future and then don't do it ever. You should upgrade it eventually. Like the people that, well, I want to make sure I have two PCIe slots so I can do Crossfire in the future and then never do Crossfire. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of people used to do that. Um, not saying you did, if you're listening. I mean, but I, I noticed a lot of people did. Uh, ben Cannon writes in and says, given how bad Rocket Lake was received with its almost worse in all applications on average than Comet Lake, what do you think was a worse relative launch, AMD Bulldozer or Intel Rocket Lake? Ignoring outside competition and just comparing to the predecessors. I think Bulldozer was worse. Yeah. Uh, if it were Pile Driver that they and, uh, released initially and not Bulldozer, maybe it would be more in- interesting of an argument, but... Bulldozer was really bad, and I don't know, at least Rocket Lake has enhanced new features and stuff like PCI 4.0, where I don't think there's anything like that between with Bulldozer and uh, Phenom. So <laughs> I, I think I'm it's trying to remember, worse. too, like, I think it was Tom's Hardware's Bulldozer, what was it, the FX 8150, yes. I believe their review basically said... The, in the concluding section, it always stuck with me. The F, like the FX 8150 Bulldozer flagship is priced in between the i5 and the flagship i7. So then you would assume it performs between the i5 and the i7. Unfortunately, it performs about even with close to an i7 in multi-threaded and gets hammered by the i5 and often the i3 in most tasks. That's worse. You know, at the very least, what we can say about Rocket Lake is even though its efficiency is bad. I mean, it's not like they, they they almost caught up in IPC to where AMD is now. They didn't lose IPC. Uh, and the biggest problem with Bulldozer, too, was you were just left sitting there going, so what happens now? At least yeah. we know there's hope. And at least, and, and you can make the argument budget Bulldozer, like what was it, the FX4170? They were like, that was an i3 killer for a while. It's like, yeah, I guess you could argue that's a similar situation to now, but at least... At least Intel's competing with their i5 level, not just like the i3 is comparable to AMD's like quad cores. Like that'd yeah. be really bad. Yeah, and if you have like a modern six core, twelve thread, you you are still going to be gaming pretty well, I think, for a, a while at least. Where in i3, I guess it worked, but I, I don't know. I, I, the i3 was underrated, I think, for gaming back then. Yeah, that's true, but. <laughs> bulldozer was probably worse than the i3 in most applications and 
Or not, not worse, yeah, but... And a lot of them, yeah. Uh, I mean, there was this one period where, like, Piledriver was kind of at the same level, but by the time Haswell and then Broadwell came out, it was just over, basically. Yeah, so I, I, I think there were very, very few situations where Bulldozer was a reasonable thing to get, and I think there's fewer this time around with Intel, but I would say someone trying to build a sub-$1,000 PC, if they're not... It, well... You would probably get old parts if you're doing that, but I, I think there, if you're trying to build a sub one thousand dollar PC, Intel might be the better choice right now. But there's, I, 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 I think Rocket Lake isn't as bad as Bulldozer, right? Yeah, and it's also just, you know, I'll get into this in some probably future leak video that the Intel just like uh, just to let you guys know early, kind of sees Rocket Lake as good enough because it was basically them practicing designing architectures on multiple nodes and mm -hmm. that they actually thought it could have been even worse. <laughs> Just so you guys know, this is definitely not best case scenario, but this is better than their worst fears. Yeah. Big Jeff B writes in and says to what he says, a big, what if question for Tom, if you had to choose between a computer with an FX 6,300 and an RX 574 gigabyte, or I guess GTX 950, whatever, or an i7 10700K, but no GPU, and you play mostly esports games like League of Legends, which computer would you choose? Um, I mean, I think it would th be that's, the 6,300 built. If it's StarCraft 2, I choose the i7. <laughs> oh, but maybe, yeah. but uh, and I and he says ten seven hundred k. If this was Rocket Lake, I'd there'd be more of a chance I would choose Rocket Lake because its graphics performance is like twenty percent better than uh, the ten seven hundred k's. But otherwise, it's like no, I'm going with the FX sixty three hundred and the five seventy. I think more of the games I play would perform better. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, you, you you need a graphics card. I, I guess. Intel's integrated isn't terrible anymore. It's not terrible. It's good. Yeah, but now. he said Comet Lake. That's true. Yeah. So it is terrible. It's yeah. god awful. <laughs> I, I, I think I would rather have a dedicated graphics card 98% of the time. <laughs> I mean, the only other question would be I might choose the 10700K uh, because I know I can just put another graphics card in there in the future. That's true. But he's saying if you're trying to be an esports gamer, Tom. League of, I mean, look, if all you play is League of Legends, that one might actually perform better. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's an old game. But honestly, for me, even the titles I play that are esports adjacent or whatever, no, I want the 570. <laughs> um, Ikes writes in and says, thoughts on Ice Lake server? Seems like it could have positives versus Rome, but doesn't seem like it will compete with Milan. Well, Ikes, I'm glad you asked that question because that is the second story. Story number two, Intel launches its Ice Lake SP, SP Xeon lineup up to 40 cores on 10 nanometer with a 270 watt TDP. And that's from, so I have a few links here about it. I have my leak about this CPU because again, I think people forget that I leaked literally the name and core count of the CPU before it came out. Um, despite a certain leaking website never giving me credit for that as usual. Um, but Anantech also did a review of this Ice Lake Xeon. So I'm just going to quote from Anantech's review. Uh, here we go. 
The launch of Intel's Ice Lake Xeon scalable processors has been in the wings for a number of years. The delays to Intel's 10 nanometer manufacturing process have given a number of setbacks to all of Intel's proposed 10 nanometer product lines, especially the high performance Xeon family. Trying to craft a 660 millimeter squared piece of silicon on a process is difficult at the best of times, but Intel has 10 nanometer in a place where it's now finally economically viable to start retailing large Xeon processors. And the official launch today of Intel's third gen Xeon Scalable is on the back of over 200,000 plus units shipped to major customers to date. The new flagship, the Xeon Platinum 8380, has 40 cores, offers PCIe 4.0, and takes advantage of the IPC gain in Intel Sunnycode Process Core. We're testing it against the best in the market. Which again, let me point that out, everyone. I leaked that Intel Platinum name. Uh, what was that? Oh, a month ago to, uh, to this day. But anyways, the summary of Ice Lake Xeon is this. Compared to the previous, basically, Skylake X-based processors, 43% more cores, 40 cores versus 28, nearly double the cache, 33% more PCIe lanes, 64 versus 48, 2x the PCIe bandwidth due to PCIe 4.0, four times the memory support, four terabytes of DDR is supported, SGX Enclave support, 7% higher socket-to-socket bandwidth, support for DDR4 3200 Optane, and price is down 20%, or up 100% if you're comparing it to the 6258R from the previous gen lineup. Technically, the Ice Lake server is an impressive and major leap for Intel's enterprise lineup, manufactured on a new 10 nanometer process node, employing a new core and microarchitecture with new security features and accelerated capabilities. These are all just the tip of the iceberg that Ice Lake Xeon brings to the table. At the end of the day, the Ice Lake server is a success from that perspective. Performance is up, performance per watt is up, and I'm sure we'll be able to test Intel's acceleration enhancements more thoroughly. We will be able to corroborate some of the results results and hype that Intel wants to generate around this product. But even as a success, it's not a traditional competitive success. The generational improvements are there and they are large. And as long as Intel is the market share leader, this should translate into upgraded systems for their customers. But Intel is still in a tough competitive situation overall with the high quality of the rest of the market is enabling. But yeah, and the name of that review was uh, Ice Lake uh, Scalable Review generationally big competitively small (laughs) which i think is kind of how we're going to be looking at a lot of intel products over the next year so and and i do really want to talk about this this was actually pretty major news i mean even when i leaked the 8380 platinum you know i couldn't confirm how widespread it would be it seems to be a real product shipping to a lot of customers i mean dan what what do you think about intel you know ice lake server I mean, like he said in the review, <laughs> the the name of the review is perfect. Uh, you have to look at what Intel is doing right now with the context that I don't think they're going to necessarily going to be putting out chips that will outcompete AMD right now. Or <laughs> as I keep looking at that uh, Ultra from Ampere Computing is outcompeting seemingly everything in certain tasks. But... <laughs> uh, it's not it doesn't seem to compete with my uh, epic Rome in a lot of tasks. It's better than what it was before. Milan's about to come out though, isn't it? Or has come out? Milan is out. It Milan just is came out. out. Okay. So I it, there's not too much to say with it. They are they're 
starting to catch up. They're starting to be less. Well, they're not starting to be less lazy. They are less lazy than they have been for the past five years. The fruits of that lack of laziness are starting to become evident, but it's not good enough. Like they're going to start winning new contracts. They're going to, you know, a company is going to stick with Intel and upgrade their systems instead of moving on to AMD in some t- context, I'm sure. And that's well, yeah, really the th- best you th- can th- ask that's for right now. really important, though. Like, yes, that's important. I, I really feel like a lot of people keep viewing Intel through the le- and I And this is not how I view it, nor should you view it, in my opinion, when Alder Lake comes out. I think people keep viewing Intel through the lens of they launch something that loses to AMD's latest. And it's like, again, guys, I don't think you get that Intel was basically behind at everything in my at least in my opinion since zen plus the 9900k cost twice as much as the 2700x used more energy required high more expensive cooling and it was like what 10 10 percent better like and and i and yet everyone still thinks of intel as dominating back then the second i saw i that was one of my more popular videos in the first few months of the channel i think like the fact uh, I said the fact that people are comparing a five hundred dollar ninety nine hundred K to like a two fifty dollar twenty seven hundred X that comes with a cooler is insane. This yeah. is like compare like this is like comparing a thirty ninety to a sixty seven hundred XT. Like what well, are you smoking? Like Intel's lost if that's what you're comparing. You have to remember though, Tom, in some in some games the uh ninety nine hundred K got ninety eight frames per second and the twenty seven hundred X got ninety three. So really, you should be spending that extra three hundred dollars on the ninety nine hundred K. Yeah, I, and it, also you have to look at enterprise as a completely different beast than uh, DIY, where it's not like they see Epic. Epic won this generation. That means we need to spend a hundred million dollars and yeah. completely and move all of our servers onto Epic. Uh, that would be completely unreasonable. So being able to maintain contracts is. From in, for Intel is just as important as getting new contracts because, you know, they dominated servers for a long time. And really, AMD is just starting up uh, getting a bunch of contracts because, you know, Epic's only been around for what, for almost four years now, I guess. Well, yeah. And a guest that I'm hoping to have on in the next month is someone that like works in servers and in fact has some stuff to say about xbox series x apus being used in servers which is fascinating um but he says like we literally handle software that will never run on amd in the next five years like just straight up won't run so ice lake server is a huge deal and and again so i guess what i was saying before by bringing up the 2700x versus 9900k is it's like guys intel has been behind and the things that matters to most customers for a very long time. And so you can't just say, look, they launched Rocket Lake and it's slower than Zen 3. Yep, from my perspective, Coffee Lake sucked compared to Zen Plus. That is my perspective. Yeah. Like it used more energy, cost more, had security problems that have now basically made that weaker than the 2700X in some games after security patches, which Microsoft makes you download, guys. So unless you want people to just be able to easily hack into your system, I mean, really easily. So if you take off the fanboy glasses, Intel's been behind for a while, like unless you're like a really specific esports gamer and you need to view this from the lens of how much behind are they before Ice Lake server came out. It was 28 Skylight. And I don't want to talk about Cooper Lake. That was a joke. It was 28 
you know, like Cascade Lake X cores versus 64 Rome and then 64 Milan cores. Yeah. We're talking about like a third the efficiency. And now we have 40 cores with much closer IPC. Now Intel's maybe over half of the efficiency. That's not good, but that's a significantly better position than Intel was in last year. Just significantly. And that's important for the market because there's a lot of customers that will now go, okay, they just launched something twice as good as last year, finally. May not be as good as AMD, but Intel's innovating again. We can just upgrade to Intel. Like that, this is a significant launch, much more significant than Coffee Light, guys, overall for the market. People need to like think about everything in the context of, <laughs> of the economy they're working in where, I mean, I'm sure most people here have like worked for a some company and you realize they're not going to just always upgrade to whatever the new hot ticket item is if what they're having continues to work. And yeah, like you say, okay, well, Intel isn't going to be completely left in the dust by AMD. Maybe it's worth it to just keep our ongoing relationship with Intel because it works for what we need it to do. So yeah, this is a big deal. Uh, it also shows that 10 nanometer really is It really viable. does, which... I let me add on to that, too, because, I mean, like, they're already shipping tons of this, and this is made on the Ice Lake uh, laptop 10 nanometer node, just to give everyone a frame of reference, mm -hmm. the one that had horrible yields, and now they're shipping hundreds of thousands of these bigger, gig gigantic dies. Like, remember that Sapphire Rapids will be on Superfin, which... Say what you will about that name, but that's an even better yielding. That's fully fixed 10 nanometer. Even their half working 10 nanometer seems to be getting okay yields now. 10 nanometers here. Like the 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 idea that it isn't, you know. And again, it just really seems like Intel just had to stop wasting money on useless stuff and get their stuff working. And so <laughs> again, this is not going to be an architecture or a launch that a lot of people probably remember that heavily. But this is one of those things where you look at it and go, that was really maybe what you can point to as the first canary that Intel is going to be able to compete again. Yeah. Be, well, and Rocket it's, Lake was not that. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's a server chip. No, no one who builds, not many people who build their own desktops are going to care about a server CPU launching. But, you know, I think it's important to point out that this is, okay, this proves that 10 nanometer will be a viable platform. They're finally out of the 14 nanometer, I don't know, decade or not decade but like five years and it, it's good for the market and we're going to start seeing 10 nanometer in consumer products like all they're like so i don't know this is good and they're finally uh getting those crazy core counts like 40 cores hopefully hopefully their next server lineup will be more comparable to amd you know, that I think from what I'm hearing, Sapphire Rapids should beat Milan overall. And that's coming out this year, you know, probably very end. And then everyone says, well, what about Genoa? Well, Genoa won't be out at the same time. And again, Ice Lake doesn't even really beat. So think about where we're going from. I We're going from being a third the efficiency to Ice Lake being two thirds Rome, the previous gen, to Sapphire Rapids beating in AMD's previous gen in like one year span of time. Intel's updating really fast now all of a sudden. Yeah, so hopefully what that turns into for a while is kind of just AMD and Intel trading places for performance crowd and like respective markets, which I, I, I don't think know AMD how is going to be overwhelmingly in the lead 
most of the day, most months for the time being. But you know, again, like Genoa's should crush Sapphire Rapids, should. But the fact that we say should and that it might technically Intel could be in the lead for a month or two, that's a huge change to where Intel has been in the past. I mean, what, five, like almost five years now. Uh, well, yeah, well, not five, four, maybe four, three. three to four. Yeah, three years probably. Yeah. yeah, it's a big deal. And, you know, when things are competitive like this, uh, ho- hopefully consumers are the people that tend to benefit from it unless, you know, prices just keep being stupid for some reason. But now, ho- whose fault is that paying the extra prices? <laughs> I don't know. Rhymes with the Schmun Schumer, I think. Or the <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you guys, if you don't want prices to go up, stop buying stuff for more money. Yeah. Daniel Vega Hyde writes in and says, Ice Lake Server now has finally been released. AMD is now only a three to two consolidation of servers over Intel rather than two to one when they only had 28 core offerings. What I find interesting is the new secure enclave cannot be used at the same time as Barlow Pass. PMEM 200 and AMD can still have more PCIe lanes available to use in dual socket systems. Yeah. And, and then Rob G also writes and says, I work with Oracle Exadata systems. From my perspective, the IPC increase is always nice. The best bit is that Barlow Pass, he says it too, PMEM running at 3200 now. Exadata uses 100 gigabit Rocky to go straight into the remote PMEM. It's very cool technology. This software and architecture is exploiting. Yeah, I'm not going to get into that. They're getting a bit over our heads here, Dan. But it is interesting how many... I, I guess that's what I would just say as a final thing about this. Like every server person I talk to is impressed by a slick server. So, I think those are the people that you listen to because they're the ones actually buying these things. <laughs> yes, I, I can't add anything other than I, I believe this is related to uh, Optane, but I, I can't really expl- expound on it anymore. Um, but yeah, if they're telling us this is impressive. I'm going to believe them. All right. Story number three. NVIDIA resizable bar performance test. 22 games, three resolutions, 3090, 3080, 3070, and 3060 Ti tested. And this comes from Tuck Until now, your CPU could only see your graphics card memory through 256 megabyte apertures. That's 256 megabytes at a time. Imagine you're in a dark room and have a tiny pocket flashlight that can only illuminate a small part of a page from a book to you. You can still read the whole page, but you'll have to move the flashlight to where you're looking. Resizable bar is the equivalent of illuminating the whole room with a lamp. The 256 megabyte size of the aperture is arbitrary and dates back to the 32-bit era when address space was at a premium. Even with the traditional x86-64, the limit suede is newer. 3D graphics APIs such as DirectX 11 relied less on mirroring data between the system memory and the video memory. Perhaps the main reason nobody bothered to implement resizable bar until now was that modern GPUs come with such enormous video memory bandwidth, the act of reading memory through apertures had minimal performance impact. And it's only now that both AMD and NVIDIA feel the number-crunching power of their GPUs has far outpaced bandwidth requirements. But yeah, guys, look at the teraflop increase versus bandwidth per architect, like per generation. It's absurdly outstripping bandwidth. But anyways... Tech Power Up says that out of 22 game test suite, the gains vary wildly, though around 20% in Gears of War 5 with NVIDIA resizable bar and almost nothing in other titles. On average, it was a two to four performance improvement, counting titles with bar supporting the driver. While a few percent doesn't sound like much, it is free performance for a minimal investment and no loss in image quality. I wish I had insight into how many man hours GPU makers spent on bar support versus traditional driver game optimizations. Although we must say not all is green in the land of bar and our watchdog 
Xbox Legion's test, a title that has NVIDIA bar blessings, I found a performance regression at 1080p. Once with sizable bars enabled, FPS rates are limited to around 80 FPS no matter the hardware. <laughs> I repeatedly tested this with the same result. There's also some chatter online about various stuttering issues with an NVIDIA FPS limiter or monitoring software. Finally, though, AMD made it clear that best gains from resizable bar require game-specific optimizations. Both companies are optimizing for games then. The most popular first. NVIDIA is just more cautious, it seems, at the risk of missing out on gains for games with less popularity. So there you go. I mean, yeah, there's plenty of games like Red Dead Redemption 2 and 4K with a 5% boost. I have to say the gains seem less than what AMD gets, though, overall. It may just be a matter of maturity, though. Yeah, we'll see how it's develops in like the next six months to year i don't know maybe even the next generation will have better implementation of it but i don't know as it stands uh on amd what resizable bar tends to get like 10 percent performance increase I, I think something around that oh uh, it's usually closer to like five to seven i think okay. but there's there's plenty where it's 10 it seems more consistent and but then on here, I don't know, you get an average of two to four percent. Regardless, you're getting a not negligible, but pretty minuscule increase in frame rate. But, you know, it's still an increase in frame rate. And I'm glad I'm glad AMD f- thought to to do this, because even if it overall, it's not a huge increase in performance, it's still something. Yeah. And I guess the only other things I can really say about this are is, again, that AMD said it would take them a while to get I guess that's up for interpretation for what a while is. Specifically, they said they don't expect to see it on older platforms, that they'll probably just save it for the newer ones. I don't think that's true at all. It seems to be supported on all types of platforms, although curiously, it did basically, it wasn't ready until the new platforms were out, though, which is funny to think about. Um, And AMD, some AMD contexts insist that there is more than just resizable bar going on in smart access memory, and that's why you see Mm -hmm. a more consistent performance increase. But I don't know. I don't know if you can just take them at their word. I mean, at the end of the day, NVIDIA managed to add this pretty quickly, all things considered. Well, what, like six? Is it six months? Something Probably, yeah, something like six months. I don't know if you want to say that's a while or not. I think that's six months is a pretty short-term time point, in my opinion, generally yeah. speaking. That's not that long. Uh, and I, I I don't know. I We'll see if it continues to improve on NVIDIA. I, I'm would guess it, it does as they, you know, keep investing money into getting it working. Yeah, we just wanted to cover this because it's kind of, you know, again, part of the news cycle for this episode. And it's like, let's kind of put a pin in this whole resizable bar story. It's out. It's supported on multiple platforms. And now AMD is adding support to X570 for Zen 2 CPUs and other stuff as well. So, again, this All is right. what happens when you have competition. Uh, it wasn't that hard to do, was it, AMD? You could have just given it to everybody right away. Probably. (laughs) All right. Gosh, Reese, why does Windows 10 Professional have to be so expensive? Don't listen to that, nerd. Listen to me. You can get all the great windows and gaming keys you need at CDK Offers. Ah, have a plan. Go to cdkoffers.com to get all the Windows Professional and Microsoft Office keys you need 
and games as well. Add them to your cart and you can even apply one of them city slicker promotional codes like Dashring for 3% off software and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. I do have an account on this website and it is ultra easy to use. Just submit your order, use PayPal, credit card, or Bitcoin, and go to Windows website to download Microsoft Professional. One more time, that's go to cdkoffers.com. They're a fantastic sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead. Use offer code DOSHRINK for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows products. Now, back to the show. Let us move on to story number four. Laptop 3050 and 3050Ti benchmarks leak out from Notebook Check. It's actually in German. I'm going to read the summary from Tom's Hardware, and then we'll look at the charts on Notebook Check. And Tom's Hardware summarizes, NVIDIA's GeForce RTX 3050 family will include two base models, the 3050 with 2048 CUDA cores, as well as the 3050Ti with 2560. Both products are expected to be based on the yet-to-be-unveiled GA107 graphics processor. I wonder if it'll be revealed by the time this comes out, Dan. The smallest GPU in the Ampere family to date. The new graphics chips will come equipped with 4GB of GDR6 memory over a 128-bit interface and be available in variants rated for 35, 50, 60, and 80 watts of total graphics power, TGP, and will therefore feature vastly different clocks. For example, the base frequencies of an RTX 3050 will range from 713 MHz to 1530 MHz, whereas base frequencies for the 3050 Ti range from 735 to 1463 MHz, depending on the TGP rating in a laptop. Considering the wide variety of clocks, the performance offered by the new GTX 1350 GPUs will dramatically different. For example, the compute performance of the 3050Ti at 80 watts it peaks at 8.7 FP32 teraflops when boosting. The numbers are correct. By contrast, the 35-watt model would only be at 5.3 FP32 teraflops. And of course, that means that even a 50-watt 3050 could offer more teraflops than a 3050Ti. <laughs> it's not even the top 3050, too. But yeah, so that's the summary of the models leaked by Notebook Check. And when I look at the leaked benchmarks themselves, I have to say I- I'm not impressed. It looks like it might be fine compared to previous generations, but there's not really that much of an increase in performance over previous generations. So I don't know. It, it, it looks okay. They said I didn't. They say there were only. Uh, did they talk about the amount of RAM? Yeah, they said there were only four gigs of RAM, which I don't know. As we talked about on, I don't know, some podcast previously, like I, I would hope to see the low end move to like being six gigabytes of RAM, but eh, that's clearly not what they think should the low end should be right now. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, so I guess I don't know the die size. I guess that's the only thing that would likely that would make me impressed at all with this is if it's like, you know, like a 150 millimeter squared die, which who knows, you know. But because yeah. I think at the very well, at the very least, let's do this, right? RTX 3060 die size. Let me at least pull this up here. Yeah, so that's around two, 276 millimeters squared. Okay. Yeah, I guess. So, yeah, no, but it's going to be around 200. Yeah, it just doesn't really impress me. I, even when die size is considered. At the end of the day, when I look at the leaked 3050 benchmarks, it's a 1660 Ti max Q in performance. Okay. 
seems to use yeah. the same energy as one too. The 1660 Ti Max Q I think is 35 watts. So uh, I just don't see this again. Like it seems even worse in moving the ball forward and uh, efficiency than the high bigger dies. Like yeah, the 3050 Ti is about the same performance as a 2060 Max Q. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like using the same energy I, I i i have not much to say here that's the unfortunate thing about mobile ampere is outside of a few specific models it feels like ampere on laptop is like almost a negligible performance increase i guess what you would say though is this now brings ray tracing to these form factors because technically I the 1660 so, yeah. ti max q didn't really support it and technically i think you could turn it on but it just was horrible but then again, I, again though, I mean, I have a thin and light laptop with a 2060 Max Q that I've undervolted to perform almost like a 2060. So it's like that has ray tracing, and I can even play Minecraft and ray tracing on it, and it runs at a fine frame rate. So I don't know. It just doesn't seem like this is moving the ball forward. It's all going to come down to price, and God knows they probably won't be aggressive. Yeah, and just the added disclaimer with every Ampere uh, mobile graphics card, if you're thinking about getting a... <laughs> ampere mobile graphics card laptop uh make sure you're checking whatever weird version of their uh, of the card they're throwing in because this thing will i don't know uh both of these depending on what the power configuration is it will get could possibly get double the performance and still be advertised as the same graphics card so (laughs) check power ratings because for some reason they don't want you to know that anymore Well, yeah. And another funny thing to think about is a perfect example is you just got a laptop with a 1650, not TI, right? It was 1650, but it had GDR6. And after tweaking it with Afterburner, I believe you got that to perform, you know, like a desktop 1650 TI just because it's not power limited. Like I think you have the 65 watt model of a 1650, but then it has GDR6 instead of GDR5. So it actually just performs like a desktop 1650 TI. So it's not like this hasn't already been a thing to worry about. Yeah, I guess that's true. You're right. That's just a thing in general with laptops is they're really, really bad at advertising what graphics card you're getting. They're really bad. That didn't used to be the case. There was like, pascal and the beginning of turing it was just you knew what you were getting it just doesn't feel like it anymore once again i really was hoping that would stay around but we've talked about that to death yeah crispy bacon writes in and says with the launch of the 6700 xt and launching without fidelity fx super resolution in the driver would it be safe to say that maybe amd will launch this feature for laptops first Considering Smart Shift was the laptop forerunner to smart access memory, is it possible AMD wants to perfect this feature for laptops in order to take market share, then tackle the desktop variants for Fidelity FX Super Resolution? Or are we looking at an AMD that's developing its competitive feature set with utmost prudence? I'm hoping for the latter, since AMD could really use good press for their drivers for once. Um, you know, I, I don't think they're holding it for laptop or anything like that. I mean, if they get it working on desktop, they'll get it working on laptop. I really just don't think it's ready. And based on what I'm hearing, it's because it really is going to be its own thing that they want to work very well. They don't want that one year or two years of like DLSS being a complete joke because DLSS isn't really at least perceived as a joke anymore by a lot of people. So they know that DLSS works now. It will be supported in more titles. And that means Fidelity FX Super Resolution Man, that's a long name. 
has to be ready and working well when it comes out. And so they're not going to launch it until they know it's working, you know, and it, it benefits everyone, not just laptop. Yeah. And I don't know, from my perspective, it seems like they knew they needed to have a response to DLSS at some point. And I feel like they announced their response before they necessarily knew what it was. I don't know. That, that's uh, I, I think our last news episode, we talked about like a statement that to me leads me to believe that that's what's going on. And hopefully that means that the, when it comes out, they'll release a fully baked technology and not just I don't know, some sharpening filter or something. But, you know, I think they kind of just, um, well, I can't, I, I think they jumped the gun a little bit in announcing it because they felt like they had to. Well, in addition to that, I just think that we've been dealing with a lot of people's assumptions that it's coming out around the corner. I mean, I don't remember which website that was, but they had some leak where they said it'll be ready in March. Then yeah. happened, did it, guys? And I continue to be asked, so is when is it coming? What do you know about it? Why, why won't you tell us more about it? And I'm not telling you because there's nothing to say. It's not around the corner, guys. And I've never had any indications it was. I remember when that leak came out and I talked to a contact, I was like, is there any validity to this? And the guy's like, there's no evidence I'm aware of that this is coming out soon. So <laughs> I'm guessing that's, I would be shocked if that leak was correct. Yeah, so I I don't know. If you hear something about it, I'm sure you'll be you will talk about it unprompted. If you, yes, I'm not waiting it. for you guys to ask. I just there's nothing there right now. Um, Cade writes in and says, "Hey Tom, I've been watching your videos since the first Big Zen Two videos in March of 2019. Oh wow! And I finally have a few dollars to throw into that Patreon. Something I've been wanting to get your opinion on for a while is if Intel may utilize the Quick Sync technology that allows iGPUs on their products to accelerate rendering in Adobe Premiere on Z GPUs. If they did this, I believe it could be a significant value add to their GPUs in a similar vein to Nvidia's NVENC encoder." Well, as we're about to get to in story number five, uh, yeah, this is probably going to be a major selling point of Z. And so let's just get into that. Story number five, Moore's Law is dead, leaks pictures, pricing, performance, and expected release window of DG2. And so I did a little write-up here. Um, on April 8th, Moore's Law is dead detailed what can finally be considered some good news for GPU competition this year. Intel Z seems to be a real product that should compete in the mid-range. In short, Intel Z seems to, Intel Z was confirmed to utilize 512 execution units, a 256-bit bus with 16 gigabytes of GDR6, match or beat the 3070, and consume around 275 watts, at least in its current planned iteration, and offer incredibly impressive encoding performance. In some cherry-pick scenarios, it's up to 100x better than Ampere at encoding. <laughs> Truly, the only bad news is that this GPU clearly isn't coming out anytime soon and likely will be reference only for a while because, guys, AIVs aren't getting any information. So I really think in, Intel's planning to just reference it from the beginning for a while. However, to say that most people were skeptical of ZDG2 ever becoming a real consumer project will be a massive understatement. And so this is really why it's being perceived as a bombshell report by a lot of people. Speaking of bombshells, Moore's Law Z began hinting at what else Intel has coming with Lunar Lake and other products over the next few years. And the summary of that is that AMD will need to keep innovating at a current pace that is brisk 
to match what Intel at least has planned coming in the next few years. In many ways, that should be considered the best news disclosed in the leak, according to this writer. One big, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's my summary. You know, uh, it was featured on TechLink, which I saw that, you know, and, and that's the Linus Tech Tips, like news summary channel, which they didn't just feature, Dan. I, did you see it? I, I looked at it a little bit. They, yeah, they showed parts of your video and stuff. And they, yeah, they didn't just show it. They like really showed it. <laughs> they like showed a lot of details. So, you know, Linus has been featuring a few things from this channel lately. So we got to. Thanks, Linus. Someone tell Linus to get on Broken Silicon because he's certainly invited. And, you know, so is the guy who does the TechLink channel as well. Frankly, almost anyone from Linus Tech Tips would be invited. Uh, I think, right? yeah, that's an open invitation, I think. <laughs> Yeah, we've got to figure out a way to contact these guys. If someone can talk to Linus, tell him he's invited. And we want to talk about upcoming products. So I think he actually has a lot of interesting perspectives once you get them out of the normal factory of content they put out and just talking. Um, but yeah, anyways, let's get back to it. So, I mean, what was, I mean, obviously I talked to you, we go over a lot of this information and put stuff together together sometimes, but like, you know, now that it's out, what are you, what are your thoughts on Intel Z? You know, I, I, I've been waiting for Intel Z for a long time. You've been hearing rumors about it forever, really. And yes, I don't know. Since it, 2019, I've been doing videos on it. Well, yeah. And since before your channel, we've been talking about it even. And mm-hmm. I don't know. Some It seems like it's finally coming to fruition. It's uh, not. It, it is monolithic, right? Yeah. It's not yeah. that. Well, that was that the was thing, too, is people would. People will be good to know that initially I did a big tile leak. Oh, God, I think at the beginning of 2020, where I talked about how they had four tiles and then, then they were planning to do two tiles. And then instead of doing 256 execution unit tiles, they were making the tiles bigger. So there's less interconnects because that was the power usage problem. It's just one dial now. It's one 512 execution unit monolithic graphics card. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm excited for this to come out i'm i'm very excited for this i'm really hoping we see an official announcement from uh, at some point in the near future um i think you know temper expectations a little bit if it comes out q4 this year it's it's you know that's good news if it does i honestly think it could slip to 2022 and even if it comes out q4 2021 it came out a year after what it's compete after it's what it's competing with in the 3070. Well, I mean, will be cheaper than what the 3070 launched for probably, but I don't know if the assuming uh, availability becomes better. Maybe the 3070 will have dropped in price a decent amount by then. So I don't know at at a certain point it's you're getting a 3070 that I think uses a little bit more energy a year later with more Ram. And I I think it's excellent encoding performance. Yes. an excellent encoding performance. So I, I think it's a really, really impressive uh, first card for Intel to come out with. And I think I, I think that's the level of performance they need to really enter the market uh, in a strong way, you know, because it's not it's not like they are the enthusiast level performance. But 3070, I think, depending on how you at, who you ask is uh, high end performance. And I don't know, a third competitor at high-end performance is exciting and will hopefully drive down prices, which ultimately is what I'm excited for, the, what I want the most, regardless of if I ever get DG2, which I highly doubt I would get. But I know I know you might, depending on the encoding performance. 
Well, I mean, I, again, I don't need, we've talked this to death. I don't need that much more performance than the 3070. I'll take whatever you'll give me. But frankly, this is the level where, look, it has no problem playing multiple of my games at 4K 120. It just runs yeah. out of RAM. So you give it enough RAM and you, you know, I think like that 20 minute uh, Z-Leak specifically on the 3070, I think I, I just timed it because I'm starting to benchmark for the 6700 XT review. On the 3070, it can do it in like nine and a half minutes roughly. Um, you know, and that's at 60 frames, 1440p high quality video. If like the Intel one did it in like, you know, a minute or two. Yeah. Yeah, I, I will pay for that. That's huge, you know. And I think a lot of people are missing that if they really put effort into it, AMD and uh, I'm sorry, yeah, Radeon and NVIDIA should be a little bit farther ahead in how long it takes for them to export and encode things. They, it's There's not that much effort being put into it compared to other things I've found. So there's a real opening here with how good, like I've tested it on laptops. Intel's, you know, encoding with their, you know, QuickSync is really impressive for how weak the integrated graphics card is. I, I just would not be surprised if they launched something that's like the ultimate YouTuber GPU or something, which then they would love that because every YouTuber would tell people to buy it or see it in their system. <laughs> uh, that would be great marketing, man. Yeah, I, I, I would assume that that encoding performance will go on to a discrete graphics card. So I don't know. I think I think you're right to an extent that's, kind of might be the most exciting thing is just having uh like rent being able to render just way way faster than any other card on the market and uh, you know pretty good performance to boot like i don't think anyone really needs better performance than the 3070 which i it seems to be where most uh, what you've settled on is the most likely like the modal outcome is around 3070 performance right I, I, no one expects it to hit a 3080. Yeah. I've, heard, I've had sources say treat it like a 3070 Ti, whether that comes out or not. So I, I don't know. You know, we'll see. It'd be cool, actually, if it was in be like closer to the 3080. But well, obviously, uh, again, to, to hope for that, no. Um, and, and I guess, yeah, I guess what I would say about Z is I was really a little torn when I was finishing up this leak because it's like a lot of people are going to see this as going against the, you know, conventional opinion out there which is that z is gonna fail and it's just like two things guys do you understand how catastrophic everyone's like well larabee failed failed so this will probably fail too you know intel's just gonna fail at this and it's like this wouldn't be like a bad rocket lake launch they've been hyping up these graphics products with the, like this whole division headed by raja for years do you know what this would look like to investors if they didn't launch something even yeah, in yeah. the lower mid-range, this would be catastrophic for their stock price. So there's a lot riding on this coming out. It's just not as important as Ponte Vecchio or Alder Lake. And it's just, uh, I mean, what's Intel's R&D budget? Like, how many billions of dollars have they probably spent on developing yeah. this at this point? Like, when I say billions, like, I, 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 it wouldn't surprise me if that's, like, the level it's getting to at a certain point. Because Intel has a big big r&d budget and i i doubt i doubt this is the most expensive division but they well it just yeah and it just feels dismissive to me when people are like like almost how do i put this 
ignorantly dismissive to go, Intel will probably not succeed at this. Because the way you say that is not, I'm doubtful Intel will succeed. The way you say this is, guys, Intel probably won't succeed, and that's crazy. Because if this fails, this is so bad. Such a, like, I think people underemphasize how much of a fuck up it would be if this didn't come out. Yeah, because it'd be a bigger deal than Larrabee, a way bigger deal. Yeah, because like I said, like if they they've been working on this uh, on graphics for years now, and obviously each time there's some positive thing because they, you know, they're also developing uh, integrated graphics that they go onto almost all of their CPUs. But if they are, they've been developing this for like when did Raja Kadori come to Intel? Oh, I, it was, I think it was like, what, 2018 or something? I'm trying to remember. I mean, so I would assume they were probably working on it before then. And we know he's been working on it for three years now. Uh, they've spent a lot of money on this. And I don't think they would be spending that much money unless they were releasing a product, uh, unless they thought that they were going to come out with a product eventually. Let's see. Yes, that was November. Yeah, so it was 2017. I was right. 2017. Okay. Uh, so four years. But yeah, I mean, I guess the the other thing to say about this too is is, is like uh, a lot of people are going to be like, this is crazy. But again, I went, is this crazy? They're launching something that's a less efficient version of what it's competing with a year later. I don't think that's crazy. I think Intel is capable of doing that, guys. I know no, no one believes in them anymore. And I don't think you should believe in any company like blindly, but they're capable of doing this. And if you don't believe that they are like, essentially, I think at a certain point, what we're saying is you think NVIDIA's $13 billion R&D budget that they spend every year, they're just throwing that in the fire, (laughs) into a fire. Which Intel was for a while. Let's be fair. They were, I guess. But if they keep doing that, they're going to fail eventually. Yeah. And again, that's always what it's felt like to me when people dismiss this or Alder Lake, or their other upcoming products, is it's just like, guys, do you realize you're basically saying they're going to go out of business in three years? Yeah, I know. Like, like they have, some of these things eventually have to start succeeding. They're behind a lot at every, like a lot of things. And, and everything, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, again, that's, uh, it just seems like it's down to the drivers and uh, the people I asked, they said, oh, it's a matter of time. It's not like there's some show stopping thing with the drivers. It's just a lot of work. This is their first high performance graphics card launch, like basically ever. So it's just a matter of time. And, you know, it, they just, I, I think it'd be worth waiting to have the drivers perfect, even if they have to price it lower because it comes out later, but that gets us to a reader mail by Connor, which remember you guys can submit them if you support us on Patreon. He says, hi, Tom, and guest slash co-host will be Dan Connor in this case. Regarding the Intel Z GPUs, there's a bit of a concern as to whether they will be good or not. You could say that again, yeah. And my question is, how bad can Intel GPUs afford to be before they don't produce positive results for the customers or Intel? I love this question. Given how bad supply and demand is, surely just being available will be a success. Pretty much, yeah. But assuming conservatively, they're essentially a 3070 or maybe a 6800, which, yeah, I'd almost say you should compare this to the 6800 more than the 3070. For $600, $800, would they not compete well against their current high prices? No, I don't think so. Uh, I think Intel's got to operate like MSRPs will become a real thing again when this launches, because if they don't operate that way, they could just destroy themselves. So the only way I can really answer this question is let's assume things actually had MSRP. And I know everyone's rolling their eyes, but it's like, you know, grow up. 
We have to assume that to answer this question, okay? We can all complain and get little violins for ourselves, but let's assume they do. Let's assume prices become maybe not good, but reasonable at the end of this year when this comes out. So if the 3070 is 500 and the 6800 is basically 600, let's, I just still think that one's basically always going to be 600. What would this need to be if it was a 6800 that used 10% more energy and was coming out a year later? I mean, I think it can't be more than $500, really, if they want to make a splash. What would it need to be at to be... <laughs> to? I mean, honestly, my answer for what would be not positive results, it would be if there is just a $1,000 Vega Frontier-like release and yeah. then nothing comes to consumers. That's what the bad would be. If they release a card that's close to what... The uh, that's close to the um, pricing of like the sixty eight hundred or thirty seventy. So in that five to six hundred dollar range, I think they would make a reasonable splash. And obviously, every fifty dollars down MSRP they go, it would be a bigger splash. Like if they released a ten percent less efficient thirty seventy or something for uh, four hundred fifty dollars with sixteen gigabytes of RAM. For, I think I said for $450. Yeah, I think that would probably get a lot of pretty good coverage. I mean, I don't know if it would be treated as something revolutionary, but it would be like, this is the best option at this price point. Especially if you need the, you know, prosumer or encoding performance. Yeah. And then the cheaper you go to that, you know, the better it is perceived. So I think if Intel, again, we're assuming MSRP becomes a thing again at the end of this year. We're assuming that it is basically a 6800. If it is, I think they make a huge splash if it's $400. Again, assuming yeah. the ray tracing is what you would expect and all of that. Okay, and then I think it's just perceived as okay at 500 and hey, it actually came out. And then I think the second they get up over the price of their competitors is just where people go, this is so stupid. But I don't see why Intel would do this. They know they're perceived as not going to launch something good right now. They know this is their first launch for a desktop graphics card in a long time. So they know they have all of this money. It would behoove them to maybe not have the highest profit margins and just launch something that reviews well. I mean, if I was Intel, I couldn't see this overall product costing more than a bomb of like 300, 400 bucks. I would just price it, you know, if it's $300 bomb, I would just price it at 400, 30% profit, good enough. Like I really would. And I would even price it at cost if necessary to make a splash because it's just one generation. You cannot expect to enter into a market this competitive and be making tons of profits right away. I mean, Tesla lost so much money when it entered the automotive market. It's because they had to. You know, and now they're making money. And I think the only way something like that happens is if they're is if they're a delusional company. And <laughs> which we'll see. I, yeah, I, I mean, I don't I'm not think they are anymore, though, from the sounds of it. They they realize how much they've screwed up recently. Yeah. And they have seemingly a, a, a and I don't think Pat Gelsinger is going in and saying, well, we're just I decide the prices on everything, but it's a good. I think yeah, it's exactly. A, I think it's a good it's a good sign that someone like him was hired as CEO. Yeah. The last thing I will say about Z is a pet peeve of mine is how many comments I'm seeing going. It's made at TSMC. So who cares, guys? That's not how this works. Just because it's made at TSMC doesn't mean it won't help. If it's it's as far as the most likely note it's on is six nanometer. AMD will be moving to five nanometer. NVIDIA uses Samsung. This does help supply. 
And frankly, it's not just capacity. It's substrate and power uh, components that is a major issue now as well. It's not just TSMC's capacity, guys. So it, this idea that it doesn't matter just because it's made at TSMC is it's bullshit. It does yeah. matter. This will help competitiveness a lot. A lot. I mean, that would be like saying we don't even need NVIDIA. We just need AMD to make graphics cards. No, even if they both were to be using TSMC, which they're both not right now, by the way, even if they were to both do that, that means they still have different contracts going on at the same time. They still have pricing where they're trying to price each other out, even if there's limited capacity. Right now, NVIDIA and AMD are like a duopoly where they're just jacking up prices back and forth. Like having Intel even use TSMC is a huge help to competitiveness if it's a decent product. This idea that it being at TSMC means it's not cool. That's not true. That's not how this works. Yeah. And if they're on different nodes, even if they're at TSMC, that we're all we care about is capacity still. That would alleviate some capacity or expand the capacity of uh, of what cards are on the market, at least. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess what I would also say is DG3 Elasti comes after this. I think that's still on TSMC, but they'll be planning to make some of their stuff. But that's 2023, so it could be on their own 7 nanometer EOV. This is just the first gen, right? Yeah. They plan to move this over to their own nodes when they can. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just say that as well. Um, JCDL writes in and says, Hi, Tom. Is there any indication that Intel's prosumer-oriented Z cards will offer more GPGPU software support than AMD is doing now? I feel pretty burned by AMD's lack of proper Rockham support for deep learning and their RDNA cards. It really seems like that could be a big value add versus NVIDIA, as it's effectively the only way you can train your models with your own hardware. Is One API finally going to save us from the tyranny of CUDA? That's Intel's goal, by the way. One API is a thing everyone is talking about. Is no like sources are saying people are just not giving enough attention to how big One API is and like competing with CUDA. And, and I, yeah, I mean, and that's for uh, deep learning, correct? I mean, it's just well, that CUDA. it would be. Yeah, it's yeah. their, you know, but it's that. It's not just deep learning, but and yeah, Intel's got a huge focus on machine learning, so I I do expect it to have proper machine learning support. Now, look, Rocket Lake launch with no graphics drivers. <laughs> it's an integrated <laughs> GPU. So who knows if we'll be there at launch. But I, they, I, I certainly all indications are that they will try to not just be encoding, but like the full feature set, which I agree, RDNA has just completely lagged in what I believe should be acceptable <laughs> prosumer <laughs> tasks. I understand they have Vega and everything, but it's like still like, what the hell? Um. Carbon Cry writes in and says, in Broken Silicon 92, you commented on Raptor Lake, saying it is between Alder and Meteor, and said it could be Alder Lake moved to a TSMC node. Was that a theory or indicated by your sources? The other option I think is very likely, and would be more interesting to me, would be if Raptor is on Intel 10 nanometer, but architecturally is a hybrid between Alder and Meteor core designs. Forgot what coves those are. Well, you know what? You know, I, I, you guys remember, if you support us on Patreon, you can ask questions like this, and I don't need to necessarily wait for a leaked video to answer parts of it. Like, let me actually scroll down on this document. <laughs> yeah, so, I, look, Raptor Lake seems like it's real now. I was doubtful just because I didn't know anything about it. So it's like, it's not like it's not real. I just don't know. It seems like now I can confirm Raptor Lake almost certainly is real. And I do believe it is its own iteration of an architecture. The way I'm thinking about Raptor, Raptor Cove or whatever they give Raptor Lake um, is that it's kind of like 
Tiger Lake to Ice Lake is my understanding. Mm-hmm. Much better I.O., probably a slight IPC increase, better platform features. I've had it suggested to me that this is like Alder Lake's effectively going to be mostly DDR4 support. Raptor Lake will really be the marching of PCIe 5.0 and DDR5 full support on the platforms. That's how I would think of it, you know? So again, kind of, again, think of it like Tiger Lake versus Ice Lake. That's how I think of Raptor Lake versus Alder Lake right now. Um, whether it's on TSMC or not, I don't know. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not <laughs> sure, but I mean, they've, they're buying, they're planning to make some things at TSMC. So who knows? Could be. Well, speaking of leaking roadmaps, let us move on to story number six. Updated AMD client roadmap leak suggests Zen 3 Plus and Zen 4 integrated graphics are coming. And I just want to be clear that this isn't, again, something I'm following super close, although I am starting to follow this stuff and I might do a full Van Gogh leak soon, as you know, Dan. Um, So I am starting to finally look into Zen 3 Plus and Van Gogh and stuff like that again. I just basically ignored it to pay attention to graphics card leaks, you know, recently. Um, But quoting from Tech Radar, while AMD already ships its APUs with integrated graphics, the firm is reportedly planning to equip all of its processors with Navi-based graphics when it shifts away from the AM4 socket. That's according to a roadmap pieced together by a Reddit user that collates rumors from all corners of the internet. If this rumor is true, it would be bad news for Intel. The U.S. chipmaker currently ships most of its processors with integrated graphics, which means it's typically the go-to for business and some types of consumers who don't want to deal with the added expense of kitting out every machine with discrete graphics when it's built. However, the reported move is likely still some ways off yet, and he still plans for a Zen 3 Plus yet, as the rumor suggests, to be the next generation Ryzen 6000 based off of a 6 nanometer Zen 3 Plus architecture. It won't be until the arrival of Zen 4 on 5 nanometer, supposedly, that AMD ships to the AM5 socket with integrated graphics in DDR5, LPDDR5, USB4, and PCIe 5.0 support. The piecemeal roadmap also suggests that AMD Ryzen 7000 mobile processor, codenamed Phoenix, will be coming to desktop as well to compete with newer GPUs based on RDNA 3. According to these rumors, AMD has an internal goal of achieving 50% better performance per watt with RDNA 3 compared to RDNA 2. Oh, wait, that's been leaked yeah. by AMD themselves over a year ago, guys. <laughs> AMD literally has confirmed this, guys, over a year ago, that it's 50% uh, efficiency it, increase with RDNA 3. Come on. Is it a leak if AMD tells us? <laughs> well, it's like Navi 2X, the big surprise that they doubled performance when they said they were going to double performance a year before it came out. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Crazy to some tech tubers. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I brought this up just because I, te- I think people who've watched Moore's Law is Dead know that I sometimes do overarching roadmap leaks with Intel because I believe there's a story to be told of how they can compete with AMD overall. But otherwise, I very rarely just do like, here's all of NVIDIA's stuff over the next few years. Here's all of AMD stuff. I tend to just focus on one product and try to tell you everything I can and how it will compete with other products next to it. I think that's far more interesting than just throwing out a big roadmap and walking away without any... I, I would without, I would argue without putting enough, you know of a a point in what you should draw from a leak i don't think just throwing out big leaks but there have been all these little leaks about apus and upcoming zen architectures and i you know well so i guess what i'm saying is well i can't confirm the overall roadmap i do think there's a lot to discuss in it that's interesting like zen 3 plus for example which as you know dan i keep going back and forth about what exactly zen 3 plus is and i keep saying it's either some die shrink an am4 am5 that's 10 percent better 
or it's some little tick off of Zen three, maybe still on seven nanometer. Mm -hmm. And that I think a lot of it just depends on if AMD even wants to launch something new this year, but I think they, I, I want them to obviously. Um, and then of course, Zen four with having integrated graphics. God, one thing me and you talked about over and over is as dies gets, as we continue to shrink down to smaller nodes, eventually you're going to get compute units that take up like two millimeters squared. You might as well put four compute units, right? Like on the IO die or something. Yeah. And I guess for that, that's another space that I think a lot of people don't really even consider is not, not enterprise, but, uh, you know, a company buying several thousand OEMs with, out a graphics card because you don't need a graphics card for most employees. Uh, and most of those systems right now are still Intel systems, I would assume. Part of me wonders if it's ne strictly necessary for them to add them to every card. Like, I don't think, I don't know, I don't think uh, some corporate uh, is, uh, corporate office is going to buy us everyone a desktop with 16 cores and no graphics. Uh, and uh, no graphics card, I think they would probably just want, I don't know, something like Renoir level performance or, or, or like low Renoir level performance or like an i3 per level performance even. So I wonder if the whole... You mean in terms of the graphics? Yeah. And, well, and CPU performance, just like four cores is good enough for most office tasks, I think. Or probably should be eight cores, but a lot of... I'm going to be honest. I think eight cores are just <laughs> going to start becoming the standard within a year. Like They I probably really will, but I, I bet a lot of corporate offices will be like, oh, the four cores is good enough still, and that's what they'll keep buying. Yeah, you'd be surprised how often quad cores, even with hyper-threading, are starting to get bogged down, I've noticed. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, um, you know, because you work in labs with them all the time. I work in... <laughs> the lab I'm working in right now has a Windows XP system, so... Mm. But um, I guess I wonder, it's interesting that they might be going with just adding integrated to everything where, for for me, I always thought it kind of just made sense to have a, I don't know, mid low-end to mid-range uh, line of CPUs like Renoir that has decent integrated graphics like eight Vega cores, eight Vega compute units, and then eight cores. Like, I think that would be good enough for you know, most offices or honestly, most people that aren't doing anything other than, I don't know, general like school work or browsing the web. Yeah. And again, it's like whether it's four compute units or eight compute units, once you get to five nanometer, guys, we're talking about a very small amount of die space to put that yeah. on there. And, I, and I'm just thinking about this now. It's funny how AMD, if they do this with Zen 4, would coincide with RDNA 3's release and also supposedly them moving the I.O. die over to TSMC, where they also make their graphics, making design costs for putting integrated graphics on there much cheaper, right? Because otherwise they have to like, what would they do if they had a, a, a graphics card on the I or integrated into the I.O. die on Global Founders now? Would they base it on Polaris or something? Like, what are they going to, you know? Like when people will go, well, they can just port it. It takes more money than you think to port an architecture, guys. Um, yeah. And so it just kind of all lines up that they finally include graphics with Zen 4, especially when you consider that RDNA 3 is chiplet based. You almost would wonder if what they're going to do is put eight compute units of RDNA 3 on each CPU chiplet. Because now RDNA 3 is built to communicate that way as well. Yeah, and... You know, we keep harping on this idea of uh, modularity and heterogeneity and, and 
uh, their uh, CPUs. I, if if the compute units are just that small that it's just worth it to throw them on everything, eh, why not, I, I suppose. And I, I don't know, maybe things are getting cheap enough to where that's an actual viable option. Something that I've always thought would be really cool, though, is if on the IO die, they put like eight compute units in like a quad core Zen 2 or something, like they effectively just... Because keep in mind, when you look at Renoir's die, a lot of that is the I.O. and all of this other stuff. Like mm-hmm. just the cores and the compute units itself is probably like not that much space. Like if they just put like two Zen 2 cores with four compute units and just put that on the I.O. die, it would be interesting if they could sell boot kits that don't even have the core chiplets on it and <laughs> that you could just boot like that. Or if, you know, you had two Zen 2 cores or some iteration of what Zen 2 is, right? It probably wouldn't be the exact architecture. In the I.O. die, that could just be used for background tasks. That could be like, they, yeah. they're like, you know what? Zen 4 may not have a bunch of little cores like Intel, but it has two little cores for a background task. We have 24 big cores. There's a lot of possibilities when they start considering this. And I don't think a lot of them take up a lot of die space. Yeah, and I don't know. I think... Depending on how successful Alder Lake is, maybe they'll need an answer to that at some point. Yeah, I think right now they're just doing what they think is the most important priority first. And it's like, as long as we can continue to scale big cores this way, it's far more beneficial to do that. But yeah, you would assume that if Alder Lake does well, they're planning something with little cores or SMT4. Yeah. Then again, who's to say Intel isn't working on SMT4? Who's hmm. to say? I wonder if I know something about that. I wonder if I do, everybody. All right. That is the last story. I don't think you had anything else to add to that, did you? Uh, no. All right. You want to get into the wrap-up then? Sure. Okay. So this is, of course, the wrap-up where we didn't feel it was like worth doing a full story, but these were things that I thought were mentionables to throw in at the end here. Um, well, here's a leak that Razer is finally looking to use Ryzen on their laptops. I was thinking, you know, if they don't do that within a year, just no one's going to buy Razer laptops or they're really going to or the, it's going to significantly impact their business. I think it makes sense why they used Ice Lake and why they made made it by with like, I don't know, Whiskey Lake and stuff like that. But the second we got to Renoir, you looked at Razer and went, why would I buy this, guys? This is not the best it could be. Well, I, I guess there is Tiger Lake, but Renoir was definitely the best option for laptops for for a while. And it came out before Tiger Lake, a lot yeah, before it, actually. Yeah, <laughs> uh, obviously. But Tiger Lake is there, so I guess if they wanted to, they could go with Tiger Lake still. But I don't know. They need to make the switch to AMD eventually. That's a huge sign, by the way, guys. The same way I was talking about how Ice Lake is a significant thing. Razer using AMD... That's a significant milestone. <laughs> That's huge. Yeah. That's huge. It tells you what's going on with competition. Let me see. Legacy PlayStation stores no longer let you buy games on the PS3. Is that? Yeah. So and Vita. I don't know that I'm and Vita, the console Sony hates and wishes <laughs> they never would have launched um, the, the console. They tried to strangle in the crib. I would argue. We don't need to get into that again, though. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't really have much to add about this. Just a big thing to point out is, you know, you can still download your games and probably will be for years. Yeah, that that's not changing. If I don't know if you're still really into PS3 and Vita, you've probably already seen this news, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, this is actually old by now, but technically it, we're covering three weeks of information with this one. 
If you want to buy something for your Vita or PS3, do it soon. I, I don't remember when they exactly they said it's going offline, but I think it's within the next, I think it's July or something, right? Yeah, I think so. The, the only thing that I would add where you could consider it some kind of a take by me is that I do wonder, it is interesting how this just was announced out of nowhere. And then there's July. I do wonder if they're going to announce some backwards compatibility thing for PS5 around then. Hopefully. <laughs> I certainly, I mean, eventually they have to. I, I still think, like, I think it's ridiculous. Like, there's no way they're just going to use cell processors on PS Now forever. Like, wh- come on. So if you can do that, <laughs> just emulate it, guys. Hopefully that's what that coincides with. Okay, another story here. Forty. Uh, I estimated around 43,000 cards were bought by a single entity for mining. So that'd be like if someone bought like a quarter of all cards for like one die shipped by NVIDIA or something like that. It's it's it's, it's very rough math. It depends on which cards. And this article doesn't say, but, you know, Hut 8, I don't know who Hut 8 is, but apparently it's an entity who mines, about $30 million worth of NVIDIA GPU miners. And my math is basically averaging. So 30 million divided by 700 per card. If we assume it's just like the average of the price between the CX, what is it called again? Is it the CH90 or whatever? I think that's what it is. No, it's the 90HX and like the 30HX. So if we just kind of like go in the middle and assume what they bought something between like a 3070 or something. I mean, yeah, I think they bought probably around at least 43,000 cards just right there shipped directly to them by NVIDIA. Yep. Glad we got all of those. Uh, all of those dies are now cordoned off, Tom, right? No, yeah. no, no. Uh, Ampere dies are going to <laughs> miners anymore. Thanks, NVIDIA. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Again, if you wanted to help gamers, you would just make more cards that can be used for gaming and hope gamers get a hold of them. Yeah. Um, also, though, there's evidence NVIDIA may be producing 1080 Ti's again. I believe this comes from someone looking at a validation of a new 1080 Ti, a, like basically iteration of the ASIC. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, again, if they were to sell it for like, I don't know, 350. I think it could help the market a lot <laughs> if they made a decent yeah. amount of them. You know, it, we keep talking about how like the low end is dying. It's 1080 Ti is a weird one if they because that's more of a mid-range card now at this point, but I don't know. We keep talking about the how the low end is dying and it seems like the only real option might be old cards. I think uh, it, I I think um Nvidia is going to come to that calculation at one point at some point no matter what whether they think it's you know worth making a new car i mean making old cards again is another question but i don't know hopefully they do it'd be funny if like they just gave it 12 gigabytes of ram and then they clocked it lower so it only needed a single eight pin and they just called it like the 3060 se or something it just turns (laughs) out it's a 12 gigabyte underclock 1080 ti that would be my dream if they just did that and priced at 300 it's like basically it's a 3060 that uses a little more energy and doesn't have ray tracing support but you can actually buy it (laughs) actually being able to buy it would be cool yeah and then amd launched a midnight black 6800 xt which one of our friends friends actually got he just randomly checked the website the 6800 XT in Midnight Black, which I think looks cooler than the original version, just happened to be there. And he's like, hey, I just got the new one. <laughs> Good for you. 
And then let me see, let's start going through the rest of these quick. Big Navi Professional. The one thing I have to say about this leak of a potential Navi 21 Professional card looks like basically the replacement for the Radeon Pro 7 uh, is just 16 gigabytes. I mean, okay. Uh, I guess, man. I don't know. And then uh, also, speaking of disappointing, the R9 5900 seems to be OEM only, although it doesn't surprise me like at all. And uh, I don't know, TSMC, this is actually a pretty big one. To spend $100 billion over three years. Technically, this came out April Fool's Day, so I double-checked to make sure it was (laughs) legit. Which I hate that April Fool's Day makes me do that. But, I mean, this is just hilarious after we saw how much money Intel was going to spend. TSMC is just like, well, how about we spend $100 billion? I mean, this is what I've been talking about since the Daniel Nenny episode or before that even, where I was like, guys, if TSMC takes the lead, I know Global Foundries is trying to corner their own version of the market, but TSMC can make any, basically, whatever you can do, I can do better, is what TSMC can say to every other foundry. And because they can do it so much better, all they need to do is spend $100 stay in the lead, and just keep upping their own capacity. And I'm worried they can just take the whole market. I'm... Getting more and more worried about that as time goes on, uh, because I, I don't know, TSMC is running away with their technology compared to the rest of the competition. So I don't know. <laughs> Better competition against TSMC is sorely needed right now. I don't think it's become evident how bad it could get yet, but uh, I don't know. There is the global chip shortage right now, <laughs> and I think it might be related to the fact that the only viable, the be- clearly best company right now is TSMC. Well, they also say in this article from Nikia Asia, TSMC cancels chip price cuts. Yeah, I know. pay for this. So already they're saying, by the way, our older nodes aren't getting any cheaper. Yep. Not good. Not, not good do Not good. Not good do it. um finally um the last thing in the wrap-up is just that it says nvidia gtx scavenger hunt you can get a free 3090 or other card potentially i mean is that right there them just hinting they're going to reveal the 3080 ti probably and i mean it's nice of them to give us like a puzzle to solve while we can't buy their graphics cards so that they ship for you know tens of thousands of them directly to miners (laughs) yep thanks for the scavenger hunt nvidia Thank you. <laughs> All right. Let us get in then to the final reader mails. Tragaholic writes in and says, two years ago, if you told PC gamers there would be a graphics card that trades blows with a 2080 Ti with more VRAM for less than half the price, with an asterisk on price, and made by Radeon no less, gamers would go mad and call it too good to be true. Yet here we are, the 6700 XT had one of the most lukewarm receptions of the current generation. Besides the usual reasons for price and availability, was it the time to the market, bad marketing, another one of the ye old Radeon fumbles? I mean, honestly, I don't think AMD gives a shit about day run reviews because they sold out. I'm going to be totally, you know... Uh, pragmatic in my answer to that and amd does not care you guys yeah. bought them unlike the gaming market i don't think bonuses are necessarily determined by how high of a score they get on day one reviews but um i, I don't know it's i think it's because the market is insanely cynical right now that people are disappointed with i don't know every launch 
I mean, that's something I have to say as well. When I look at the 6700 XT review, I kind of think the same thing. It's a bit less performance than they kind of suggested. They start, they're starting to cherry pick. It's just a 3070 with some performance losses in some things and performance benefits and better overclocking at other things. Um, but when I look at the reviews for that and how they're generally worse than the piece of shit 3060, I have to go... I think that's an interesting point, Dan. You could make the argument you're just seeing lower reviews over time due to cynicalism. There'd be a lot of people that get mad at me for suggesting that. But yeah. there's an argument to be made. It just seems like the later something comes out this year, the worse reviews it gets because people are mad. I don't think that's just the case. Rocket Lake is terrible. But I am, eh. I don't know. How is the 6700 XT any worse than the 3060? 3060 is a complete joke in my opinion. And it makes their whole lineup look like a joke. Yeah. I don't know. But, I mean, that's really all I think there is to say about it. Let me be very clear, though. Another reason it got lukewarm reception is because, I mean, guys, it is 20, it's like 30% better than a 5700 XT will costing 20%, or let's be honest, at least 30% more. That's why there's lukewarm reception, because it's like, boo. (laughs) Oh, yeah, the market also just sucks right now, so... Firesquatch writes in and says, Hi, Tom. Why is VRAM not more of a talking point in reviews for graphics card in the 1440p or 4K tier? I started watching my GTX 1080 while playing Cold War, which I don't feel is an uncommon game, and I noticed I was maxed out on video memory and dipping into system memory, about 2 gigabytes worth, even at 1440p with the lowest settings. Same goes for 1080p high. I know you talked about it often in Big Navi Leaks and in your review of the 3070, but why is there not more discussion i feel like this limitation is a really big deal for more games than some reviewers think all i can say is i couldn't agree more and i don't know what some people are smoking like it's a big problem a very big problem multiple games i play from two years ago run out of ram even in 1440p and i have to turn down settings where there were scenarios in some games where i could run better settings on a radeon 7 than a 3070 that is clearly stronger that's bad i don't know why some reviewers i don't know what's up their ass that's making them pretend eight gigabytes is enough it is not enough Uh, that's my opinion i i mean i don't know what's been going on for uh, ever um i feel like people (laughs) always undersell the value of having more ram like when i got into the pc gaming market people were like one gigabyte of ram is more than you need during the fermi era yeah it almost seems like you just wanted to tell people to buy fermi cards and fermi cards were all ram starved they all needed more ram are that's been a problem i mean yeah the 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 second you got it it was running out of ram in some games the second you got it i think i think it's consistently been an issue for nvidia that they've had too little ram almost the entire time i've been except for pascal i guess yeah that's the exception and and maxwell was okay but uh, almost the entire time i've been gaming on pc i i think NVIDIA has had too little RAM on most of their cards. Well, except the 3060, which has 12 gigs of RAM, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't think people pay enough attention to it. I don't get why they don't. They just, it, it, like, the amount of RAM is almost just an afterthought for some reason. So it's like, fuck it. Why don't we just put four gigs of RAM on everything? It seems like no one cares. It, it, it's dumb. It, we've been able to get eight gigs of RAM on a card for what like six years now almost like when did the third 39 i mean not 3090 when did the 390 come out like 2015 right 
Now, what, which card? Oh, the, the 390, not yeah, the 390. Not the third. Yeah, I misspoke. The 390. Yeah, the 390 came out, yeah, I think 2015. Yeah. Yeah. And you could get eight gigabytes for like 400 bucks back then. <laughs> and it's yeah. not gotten better. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I really, I mean, ever since the 3080s announcement, I've been like ringing the alarms. Like 10 gigabytes is not enough. I'll show you multiple games where it runs out of RAM, even in 1440p sometimes, usually just 4K. And certainly 8 gigabytes is, in my opinion, cutting it close in even 1440p at this point. Yeah. Like, so I don't know what to say. I think there's obviously a ton of examples where it's a problem that the people that act like it's not are blind. And I don't know what else to say anymore. Like, it's a problem. It's a huge problem. Eight gigabytes should be standard below 300. 12 gigabytes should be standard below, I mean, 500. And 16 gigabytes should be standard below 1,000. I think that's obvious. And you're lying to yourself if you say it's not an issue. It is a huge issue in multiple games from two years ago. I've tested these latest graphics cards. It's a problem. But what about allocation of RAM versus usage, Tom? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Which is a thing kind of with Call of Duty specifically, but he saw perf- it was using more of his DDR. So it's a problem. Yeah, I, I, I know. I, it's just uh, making fun of that criticism because if you're getting worse performance, I think you're obviously seeing an issue with the RAM, the, this amount of RAM you're getting when you go over eight gigabytes of usage now and you can like rant about well it's actually allocate it's clearly not it's using ddr (laughs) yeah and this has been something that i've ranted about before but really what gets my goat with this whole enough ram argument is people saying the word enough i wasn't aware that we're a bunch of fucking console peasants we want enough ram when we spend six hundred dollars on a graphics card when I spend $600 on a graphics card, I don't want enough. I want luxury. This is ridiculous. When did everyone become a peasant all of a sudden and just accept enough? You're spending way more than mid-range prices, and you're like, it's enough. You should want more than enough if you're buying a high-end product. Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't know, man. Chronos <laughs> 1996 writes in and says, so this is something I've been thinking about for six months or so now, and I was shocked to see it get virtually no press coverage. When Microsoft was talking about the specs of the Xbox Series X, they made a comment along the lines of, we designed the APU with AMD, but we obtained the right to use it however we see fit, not just in the Xbox consoles. I tried to find the original quote, but no dice. Searching news results that include the Xbox turned up about a trillion results, face palming, but the interesting part is that not so subtly hinted they could and might use the Xbox APUs and other products. So let's just take a moment and imagine next generation Microsoft Surface Book gaming laptops that use an Xbox APU that didn't meet the bin requirements, or maybe the few that were so good they could use all of the 56 compute units. Do you think this is possibility? What else could they potentially use these APUs for? Well, Kronos, I think you need to Google a little more because they've literally confirmed they're going to use it for xCloud streaming. That a reason they designed it with these memory controllers is that they're going to give it more GDR6 in the server version and stream four 1080p instances at the same time from one Series X APU. I've also been told they're just going to use these potentially in Azure. I have, a, I have multiple sources saying this. Intel is using the Xbox Series X APU as a server APU. It was designed as a server APU. That that's why it has a bigger die compared to the PlayStation 5 for about the same performance. This is well documented that it was designed. I literally have quotes from Xbox engineers, Xbox, Microsoft engineers saying, you know, what if the Xbox doesn't do well? At least we'll have an awesome, efficient server APU. 
That's yeah. what it's meant for. And I know some people will go, no, the extra die space was used for compute units. Yeah, but it's clocked lower too. Like they, they make <laughs> less Xboxes in the same die wafer capacity that Sony makes PS5s. They would only do that if they needed to use it for multiple purposes. Otherwise, make it smaller, baby. Clock it faster and just use it for gaming. But it's not just for gaming. In terms of using it for a laptop, I don't really see it so far. I think they could, but I'm not seeing evidence they're going to yet. I mean, yeah, that will... I don't know if they announce something, what, in the next six months or so. I think maybe. the Series S would be the more likely thing they do. For a right? laptop? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which I hope they do. I might buy it, but. That'd be um, a really good laptop. <laughs> Carbon Cry writes in and he says, again, in Broken Silicon 92, I want to talk about something you guys discussed with Nintendo. You focused on the fact that they could have gone with Pascal-based Tegra, which is true, but the story on the CPU side is even more ridiculous. Tegra X1 has eight AMR cores, four bug A57 cores, and four, uh, four big A57 cores, and four small A53 cores. Big little, right? Nope. The four small cores don't work on Nintendo. It's most likely errata, mistaken, in Silicon. But all Tegra X1 chips on 20 nanometer waste transistors on those cores. The die shrink to 16 nanometer at least removed the four. But it gets even funnier with the Pascal Tegra, the X2. The X2 has four A57 cores, but also two Denver cores. Denver is NVIDIA's in-house ARM core design made specifically for single-threaded workloads. The idea is that lighter work gets threaded onto the A57 and heavy single threads get on Denver. I assume I don't need to explain how great that would be for games, though, specifically, right? And in 2019, Xavier, the next Tegra, was launched. It has up to eight Carmel cores uh, developed from Denver. It uses Volta. It also includes Tensor stuff in Ethernet. It was in development since at least 2016. The Switch refreshed half in mid-2019. If Nintendo wanted, they could have worked with NVIDIA on an optimized Xavier for the Switch refresh, say without the Tensor and Ethernet stuff. But you know, that would cost money. And obviously Nintendo cannot afford to invest to make an actually good product. Um, you know, without getting too much into it, me and Dan have talked about this before that I just always feel like, you know, and I want to get ahead of the people that jump in and go, well, Nintendo isn't about the performance. It's like, but it matters. And if they would have just given it Pascal and a stronger CPU and given it even just four, like six gigabytes of RAM, they could have had every AAA game on the, uh, every third party, I should say, AAA game on the Xbox series. Wait, the Xbox One, God, these names, the Xbox One and the PS4, they could have, they would have ran at lower resolutions, but if they would have spent like an extra, I think $30 on the Switch, which it makes huge profits per sold, especially by now, they could have just had any multi-platform game. And with how well that thing sells, I think most multi-platform games would have been on the Switch. And yes, it annoys me they didn't use Xavier with Volta either, because again, they could just launch a Switch if they just spent like an extra $20, $40 that has all AAA games. And it blows my mind they don't do that. And it's because they think they don't need to, and maybe they don't, but what what is this need? I don't need to. Do you want to make more money? Because I bet you could even sell it to more people if you made it that much stronger. Yeah. Even by selling I console just, of the gen, probably, if they did that. I, I, I just don't know what the hell Nintendo is doing at any given time. None of their decisions seem to really make that much sense. You mean hardware-wise? Yeah, hardware-wise. I, 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 I just don't understand what they're doing or why they make the decisions they do. I, it's clearly, they think that, seems to me, they think they need to maximize profit on literally everything they sell, even if long-term having a console that, sure, costs 30% more, they'll sell it for the same price or whatever, 
they pro- still probably make a profit off of that. But, you know, their game attach rate might be double what it is <laughs> or 20% yeah. more or something what it is if they actually... Which is just, where you make way more money, is it, yeah. it, which they could be making PlayStation money if they had the higher software attach rate. Yeah, and I guess they don't care about that. I mean, they also don't lower prices on their games ever, so uh, they're probably making a bunch of money off of that, too. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, you're right. They'd make even more than from the third parties that they don't lower... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why they don't do it. I think they should. I mean, it just reminds me, too, of, like, I remember the Wii U leaks. I remember some big analysis tech tuber video where they're, like, basically saying how it would be insane if the Wii U wasn't at least, like, four times stronger than the PS3 and 360. And, it's be, and they're, like, it's based on this generation of IBM Power PC. If they literally use the weakest one possibly available, it would be at least this much performance. And then it turned out they used something, like, half as a third as strong <laughs> as that. So, like, they even found a way to cut corners around that. And yeah. and in, and they and in the Wii U they use like what is it like a RHD four thousand Radeon graphics from like six thousand was out it was absurd I don't know yeah I I, I don't know is it which is the same decision they used HD four thousand when HD six thousand was out that's like using Maxwell when Volta was about to launch yeah I don't know I don't know I don't know why. Viking R writes in and says, feel free to shorten or reword this, but it seems like every generation of consoles, there are comments about the current generation selling better than the last. To me, this both seems correct and wrong at the same time. When one considers population growth rates of 1% to 2% per year, the fact that video games are more popular and the price of the console with respect to the strength of the dollar, has anyone statistically normalized the sales of games and consoles with respect to population costs? To me, it seems obvious and trivial to keep saying you sold more product in a bigger market. It'd be interesting to see the normalized statistics for which consoles really sold the best for their time. Well, they're making a lot of money because of the online services things everyone buys into now on consoles. Um, but what I would suggest is this. gaming, PC gaming really isn't niche anymore. The, the graphics cards sold every year are obviously a very small piece of the pie but most people hold on to their graphics cards for many years and then buy used ones i mean pc gaming's incredibly mainstream compared to where it was 20 years ago i guess is what i'm saying it's not to suggest it wasn't always plenty of pc gamers but god like i think we talked about this on the last die shrink damn like you mentioned like basically all of our friends now have pcs and even people younger than us like their little brothers little sisters build pcs now yeah, it's it's pretty mainstream to have a gaming PC at this point. In fact, I remember seeing a suggestion that really PC gaming is the standard and consoles are a luxury product in Western countries, which some people will go, whoop, but they thought they're pleb devices. And it's like, no, no, no. Most PC gamers have older hardware that they scrape by with for a while. PlayStations and Xboxes and Nintendo things are like luxury Apple thought of products in Western cultures where they don't need to build it themselves. Yeah, I don't know. And I... I... I guess I would need to do like the math more carefully, but it's like if you're using like consoles as a proxy for popularity of get for popularity of gaming, like the Nintendo, the NES sold like 60 million in a world that had about 5 billion people in the, that's more or less the entire generation. <laughs> like nothing else sold, sold well except Nintendo when the NES came out. Now there's about 8 billion then people. Then there was the Genesis, though, which I think matched the Super NES in sales, okay. if I remember right. Well, I'm talking about the NES. Okay, okay. NES sold better. Than, I think it did. I don't remember. Uh, but it, I, I'm just saying generation over generation, consoles seem to outpace population growth is all I'm saying. The world is about 
30% more people. Consoles seem to be about twice to two and a half times as popular. Anecdotally, everyone games now. You were a fucking nerd in 1985 if you gamed. I, I just think it's obvious that it's gotten more popular over time. Um, I, I guess if we're talking about like a 40 year time span, which is what I'm talking about, though. Well, and I think that you also have got to remove the 360 generation because that one was kind of just an anomaly. That yeah. one lasted too long. The 360 had horrible reliability. And even though the PS3's reliability was like a factor of 10 better, it still was less reliable than the PS4 and I think the PS2. So you had people buying new consoles to replace them, especially because the gen went on for like 10 goddamn years. And then you also had the Wii, which didn't even really directly compete. So it's like, I think you should almost just compare the PS1 generation to the PS4 and just remember that the 360 gen lasted too long, had reliability issues, and that we didn't directly compete. There's a lot of reasons the 360 gen sold gangbusters. If you compare the PS4 to the PS1, it outsold it by a decent amount. The Xbox One outsold whatever, what was it? The Yeah, outsold the, three, the Nintendo 64 and... Yeah, so I'd say that it seems like it's outpacing population growth if you remove the 360 gen. Yeah, because the 360 was like 260 million consoles sold or some thing, yeah, some crazy like, some, like 280 some million number. actually, I think. And then right um, now the PS5 and uh, is outpacing the PS4 and evidence suggests the Series X is outpacing Xbox One, I think. Although there's less concrete numbers on that. In the PS4 generation, what that's probably going to end up at about 200 million sales or something like that, right? I mean, yeah. Do you count the Wii U in that then? Probably. Yeah. yeah, yeah so, so uh, maybe a little over 200 million. Yeah, I the don't Switch know. is a hard one, I guess. Maybe you because the Switch, it's like, do you count? I would almost combine the Switch and the Wii U to that, but you, I don't know. Yeah, I guess I'd put the Switch with the newer gen. Yeah, certainly if you combine the Switch with the PS5 and the uh, Series X, clearly we're outside of the previous gen now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and when the PS and that that would be the PS2 generation. So I don't know. It it might not. It might the growth might be slowing down a little bit. But I think the popularity overall is about the same because the PS2 generation would have been, I don't know, about 200 million as well total. I think. And, and again, as much as there were reliability issues for the 360 gen. Eh, well, you know what though, the PS4 gen was more reliable than the PS1 gen, as far as I can tell. Um, and the PS5 and Series X gen seems incredibly reliable compared to previous gens. So just remember how many previous gens people were buying consoles to replace broken consoles, and that seems to be less of a factor over time. Yeah. Mia writes in and says, you've stated that one of the reasons you're moving is to build a proper studio. Any plans for the set? Well, I haven't moved into the new house yet, of course. What you're seeing is, of course, I'm in some temporary location in between selling my old house and moving into the new one in Nashville. Um, I mean, the, the general idea is to just have basically a dedicated room that's kind of interesting looking and has more room for just tons of desk space for benchmarking stations, which I'm running into needing one right now, benchmarking the 6700 XT because I'm missing some of my cables that allowed me to test the 6800 XT before. And it's so big. Like the 6700 XT I have, I, I would argue is almost harder to fit into my case than the 6800 XT because of the ridiculously awkward plastic shroud Asus elected to put on there. So this is a major problem. We, we might even need to rely on Dan to do some benchmarking for this one. Um, so I, I don't, I mean, I mean, and that's what I'm thinking. That's basically the plan. Now, of course, we'll try it out. There's a specific room in the house that I'm hopefully moving to, you know, in about a week or two. 
that I have in mind for it, but I'll, the, you'll probably see a few videos of me in the living room again before I'm 100% sure which room will be perfect for it. But outside of that, I'm not really going to say anything else. Being mysterious? Just not literally sure yeah, exactly <laughs> where it'll go yet. And then Essen Scooper, well, and it, and it would be nice to have a room that has more controllable lighting, like controlling the lighting. It's, it's hilarious how video to video in my house in Peoria is just like, wow, great new camera. And it's like, no, the lighting was just better that day. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, e, was it Essen Scoopers writes in and says, Hey Tom, I've been watching your videos since you had a few, had few enough to count on fingers at the, that's a very long time you've been watching. Some of those videos probably aren't there anymore. Cause I deleted them was the audio quality was garbage. And I just don't want there a chance it's suggested, <laughs> you know, after the hell is one. this? <laughs> yeah. Of course, I don't delete all of them. I leave some of them either because I reference them a lot or just because it's like, eh. I mean, we got to leave some of the ones up from the good old days. At the time I started watching you, I was in high school and I was just getting into PC building for the first time. This entire time I've watched, oh, now you're making me feel old. I've wanted to support you on Patreon, but I didn't have a job. Now I finally have some money to become a patron. I just wanted to say thank you for sparking my interest in the nitty gritty of computer hardware. I'm now going to college for computer science. Thanks to you. That's kind of crazy to think of. Does that make you feel old too, Dan? Uh, I, don't, I don't know, I guess. We've been doing this for a couple years now. I th- I guess for him, that's a really big change, though, in two years. That that change uh, from being uh, in high school to being in college is a pretty, it's a pretty big change in your life. But, you know, glad you're going on to computer science. Get a, get a good degree. Go work for uh, Epic in Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> which seems like half of the computer science majors go to. We certainly have friends that work there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I always wonder when I see comments like this, where did you find my channel? If you were watching it that long, <laughs> I had like 20 views, 20 subscribers when I first started. Yeah. I don't know. Well, you had zero subscribers when you first started, but <laughs> yeah, but I but, got to 20 pretty quickly. Yeah, I I don't know. I I don't know like the the people in like the first 1000 subscribers even cuz I remember when you got over 1000 subscribers and you're like, "Whoa. I actually have 1000 people pay, that pay attention to me." Yeah, that was a big deal. That I still feel like the 1000 and 10,000 milestones, I'll never match that feeling again. Like even if I got to a million subscribers, it's not the same as like actually having 10,000 for the first time. Yeah. But you know what? Essen Scoopers, Scoopsers, I guess it's technically Scoopsers. Scoops, sirs. Thank you for the support. I mean, I, the other thing I would say is, you know, we just did a die shrink where we just answered any questions people had about Intel's roadmap or Z. So that came out Friday. Remember, if you support us on Patreon, you guys get access to exclusive podcasts every other week and early ad free access to Broken Silicon every week and an ad free version of Loose Ends and tons of other goodies like. When there's video episodes, you get that early as well, like what we do with Hardware Unbox. So just remember that's there if you can support us. This is really only possible from the patrons, I've got to say. Thank God we're getting recognized for the Z-Lake, but it's been a bit of a rough three months. And if it wasn't for patrons, I don't know this channel would exist. Yeah. So remember to support us if you can. And otherwise, I don't know, Dan, any last words? Uh, I love you all. Was that a good last words? That wasn't weird. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Bye. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. 
Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Law is Dead is a team, with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon Die Shrink and Loose Ends, and of course the Moore's Law is Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. And at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Telus, GUK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I Love You, Lennon Jim, Ivan K, Tom Bailey, Muhammad Al-Khwari, Frederick Lau, James Crasset, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Harrod, Drita Full, Phil S, Courtney Elliott, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegon, Josh Law, JBG, Travis Gooding, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Fatboy Disru, Daniel Hyde, Dammit Logistics, Tara Reed, Jack O'Neill, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Juan Garcia, Sean Vollmer, My Name is Nobody, Joel Correy, Alethros, House, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchik, Ivan 214, John Jameson, Benjamin Cannon, Matthew Lane, L, Jan Rauner, Robert Ducks, Michael McGee, Allie Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Patrick Groh, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, HardForeRoom.com, Sam MacArthur, Total Silo, Sol Connor, Michael Costa, Andrew S, Blake, Aaron Keith, Kerry Baldino, Endless Loggins, Tom Sanfilippo, Justice Brennan, Viking R, Trevor Powers, Stu, Alenia, Nanyan, Daniel Nishbal, Franco Frederick, Dane Golinowski, Alex Karras Steele, Dark Rain 2049, Lane Perry, Joseph Kerman, Carlos Valdos, Carnivore Bear, Danovin Russell, Zebra Zebra Zicky, Man Porshegi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Spencer King, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canos Jr., Stefan Coates, Kiwi Phil, Dehuhu, Sarah Light, Anthony Garafa, Matthew Griffin, Alex, Joseph Loya, Luis Correa, Deke, Cheesy Ramen, Raul Abeneni, Tim Robbins, Jake Dude 23, Brian Ringelman, Samuel, Ryan Deniskew, Dave McCoy, Valco Malev, Gabe Lagner, Rodney, Morton Svensson, Michael Deaton, Thomas Summers, Maurice Courtois, Matthew J. Lynch, Scott Reif Schneider, My Sharona, Y. Trewi, Roman, Jacob Stankowitz, Air Rats, Wakir Khan, Ashildar Epstein, Stefan Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Greg, Peter Moore, Chris Licata, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Sammy Malays, Kevin Chen, Shakir, Nick Rakin, Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, R.P. Sharma, Meat and Pork, Jimmy N.G., Mads, Beachhorn, Benjamin Oshley, Jajitz, Shield TV, Couteau, Dame P, John Wilsing, Sam Venzel, Mark Mitchell, Brucha, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. Thank you.